It's the 7th of October. It's about 11.30am. Robbie Peck, his brother-in-law Clive and a friend Ben are all out diving off the coast of Port Hedland. His young son James is asleep on deck. Robbie's just shot a blue bone. And then everything turned to shit. So, Robbie, how the hell are you, mate? Yeah, doing doing well, all things considering. Thanks, bro. All things considered. Quick rundown for anybody that doesn't know. Uh, Robbie is recently been attacked by a shark up here in Port Hedland, spearfishing. Um, and he's going to talk about that, run through some of the details around the whole incident and um, a bunch of other things as well. So... How long ago was this? 7th of October, six weeks ago. Mm, yeah, man, coming up to it, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty hectic day. Yeah, man. <laughs> hectic time since then. Um, run, us, run us through what happened that day, mate. Mm. So, yeah, um, basically, um, you know, my mates and I, well, mate Ben and I were um, just going out for a sneaky spearfish. We originally... Um, had planned to go out to Cornelly Shoals, about 60-odd k's off. Um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know, uh, the the weather was, although the weather was good, the sea was a little bit lumpier than mm. it was forecast to be. Having James on the boat, we said, oh, look, let's just go to one of the close-in spots mm. and, and then we'll just have a quick dive here, pick up a few bread and butter species. And mm. I was really hoping to have a, have a crack at some Spanish mackerel, which... They're not really too common around that spot, but I thought, oh, you know, since I got James on board, I don't want to sort of put him through too much discomfort by going yeah. for a, a mad mission out wide. So, um, yeah, we just um, anchored up at this little spot I've got, which is generally a, a nice place to pick up a coral trout and, you know, blue bone and that. And then, um, yeah, we had about three hours in the water. Um, funnily enough, um, Ben and I had actually... Um, been commenting ben, ben specifically said Man funny we haven't seen any sharks so far Because <laughs> they're normally hanging around Hey different species are hanging around You see them quite often when you're out in spear, you, spear you do, fishing. Yeah. yeah yeah And um, I mean this spot I haven't actually seen sharks at before hmm. Either come to think of it But um, but yeah still unusual to be in the water that long And not even seeing one shark yeah. um, Because so you, there's a lot up here You're about 11 k's out or something Is what they, uh, yeah, they were saying 13, 13, 13 k's, k's off Yeah Yeah yeah. So um so yeah, basically um had three hours spearing. We'd had a nice haul of fish um so far as well. I actually had got a macchia, a broad bar mackerel, grey mm. mackerel. Um and then yeah, basically uh started getting a bit of cramp, but mm. I'd seen this monster blue bone hanging around in the spot. And this is a fish that me and a few other mates have seen in this spot several times. Yeah, right. Um so it's like a real personal connection yeah. to this fish and It'd be almost a bittersweet moment when and if someone gets that big boy, if he's still around. But, yep. um, but yeah, so I'd seen this fish earlier, and with the big blueies, they're very elusive. You've mm. got to be super calm and, and smooth with your actions. And even even if you open your eyes and shock a little bit, you know, the fish will be gone. Yeah, Those right. Big, big old dogs, generally speaking, anyway. Um, yeah. So... Earlier on in the in the dive, um, I'd been on the bottom, and then I saw this big boy rock up. He's behind me, mm. and I was like, "Damn!" So I slowly moved my spear gun around, did yep. a full one eighty as smoothly as as I could, and um, and then it was swimming away from me. It sort of turned half side on, gave me a shot that I could have taken, but it was mm. a little bit fifty fifty, and yeah, yeah. got far too much respect for this fish yeah. for for my 
to give it a, a shot that might pull out, and then yeah. I've wasted the fish's life, and also, um, you know, I'll, no one's ever going to get a chance to, to get it either. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, nah, we'll just let him go. And then, so the rest of the dive, I was just infatuated by trying to, you know, just dive down and hope that he showed up again, but he didn't. He was done um, for the day after that. Yeah, started getting a little bit of cramp in my calf muscles as well. I thought, yeah. oh, look. Just one more dive, he might be there. So I yeah. thought I'll make this my last dive, and that's when I, I you do get obsessed with certain little um, goals and and like uh, things that you want to. There's a fish you want to see or whatever it is. You get obsessed with when you're diving a, and, mm. and you just keep like a bit longer, a bit longer, a bit longer. Yeah, it's like that when you're down there. Yeah, it really is. Um, equally, you know, important to dive within your limits as well, which mm. it certainly was, um, mm. which turned out to be fortunate because um, yeah, before. I I was down on the bottom waiting for Mr. Big Boy to show up and mm-hmm. then I just saw a nice size eating one and thought, oh, well, that's a thought to myself, that's a good size eating fish for the kids. They love blue bones. So yeah. I, I took this fish. It was a bit of a long shot and um, and the fish was struggling on the um, on the spear mm. and putting out a lot of vibrations. Mm. Um, now, what we normally do when we're spearing just to actually decrease the chances of... Um, of sharks stealing your fish and also decrease your sharks getting um, behavioural changes around spearing. It's important not to let them get the fish as well Mm. because if you Mm. go to places where a lot of like sort of, I guess, less experienced sparrows are going where they're not used to seeing sharks, um, the sharks, they'll see a shark and just give up the fish straight away Mm. and they just panic and and then now those sharks in those areas are far more aggressive. They've been fed by people. Yeah, (laughs) and they've now learned to associate humans yeah. Um, and, and sparrows specifically with food um, yeah. and fishermen in some cases too. But um, so we want to avoid that happening in, in headlands. So typically, what we do, pull the fish in towards us on the bottom, if it's a small fish at least, and then swim to the surface with the fish subdued because it's mm. the it's the vibrations of the fish that tend to excite the shark. Mm. So yeah, in this case, it was it was a really beautiful day. Um, turns out it was the last good day we've had this year after all the recent winds. So yeah, um, we had about. 12 meters of visibility with 13 or so meters deep mm. um you could see the bottom just from the surface so yeah. it was pretty much as good as conditions get in port headland in terms of water visibility yeah um just before the trichodesmium the um sea sawdust Ooh, that's a big word um, yeah um <laughs> so yeah trichodesmium often mistaken for um for uh coral spawn oh uh, yeah um but it's that sort of yellow stuff you see yeah. floating around also known as sea sawdust and yeah. Um, has yeah like ammonia smell yeah. almost looks like it um, can be mistaken for oil slicks when it washes mm. up on the beaches as well yeah so um, what is it? it's uh, like a bacterial algae mm. thing um, yeah I don't know a huge amount about it other than it's called trichodesmium some, something that's grown releases that or, or, or it's or um, it's nitrogen fixing so it um, like photosynthesis much like a plant and yeah. um and when the water temperature gets warm enough then it starts growing and so yeah. it's a live it's an actual um uh, um it's a, a living organism as it's floating in the water like that that's not like a that's not like a secretion of something else yeah it's a living living thing ah. and um, and yeah it's the um ammonia what's ammonia nh3 or something the nitrogen Ooh. part of it yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the um that's the smell that you can smell and i don't know if that's it when it dies it releases the ammonia mm. or that's part of it but part of the cycle. it's an important part of the nutrient cycle in the ocean too because mm. that then feeds other you know aquatic animals and you know um it mm. is actually i don't know maybe it also helps with coral and things like that i'm not not 100 percent sure but i know it is a part of the oceans a trip hey so i'm yeah, like big fucking organic life form yeah. really mm. 
So yeah. Um, anyway, um, shoot this blue bone. Um, fish is vibrating, and as I'm pulling the fish in towards me, um, I just I don't know whether it was just my habit or I just sensed something was coming. Mm. But I just looked over my left shoulder. And this huge shark was coming just about right on me, man, like mouth wide open. And um, and I don't recall doing this, um, but I figured it out later in hospital when I'm sort of piecing together the wounds. And mm. um, I've actually put my left hand out to try and push it away, which has probably um, saved my life. Mm. And because what's happened is my left hand has actually ended up down the shark's throat, which meant that I only had one main bite on my upper arm. Yeah. So, um yeah, the shark, like within you know split seconds, was was on me and just I felt it just ripping into my arm, and uh, and head shaking and um, yeah, it was it was violent, man, like big fish, big impact, and um, and I knew from past experience with dealing with sharks that um, screaming at them often can turn them, mm. and um, and they don't like noise, yeah, particularly like on the surface. Sometimes we'll growl through our masks like a dog, yeah. And then underwater, um, just shouting at them um, has worked for me in the past. And it's not something they're used to, I suppose. No, they don't like aggression. Yeah. Um, and I liken sharks to a dog. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, they're like the dogs of the ocean in terms mm. of their behaviour. Um, yeah. Most of the time, you can hang out in someone's backyard with their Labrador or something. And, and it's fine. It's all and good. it's fine. And you can read the body language and you can tell that that dog doesn't mean you any harm. Yeah. But equally, everyone knows when there's an aggressive dog and it's posing a threat to you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and much like an aggressive dog, maybe a barking annoying chihuahua, you can sort of run towards it and it'll back off. And mm. you know, they don't like that. Sharks don't like the aggression back at them because yeah. sharks aren't stupid either. They want to survive too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you give them a bit of aggression, then they don't want to get hurt. Because yeah. if they get hurt, then that's potentially their they're their compromised. Is, yeah, yeah, they're compromised. They've got to be able to hunt. Exactly. And so you often find the bigger sharks are the ones that are probably keeping their distance more and a bit smarter mm. um whereas a younger you know the i guess the teenage type yeah, of sharks yeah, yeah. are the aggressive stupid ones you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. makes sense <laughs> weren't, weren't we all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well maybe not aggressive but certainly stupid mm. <laughs> I know yeah, I you, you know everything and you're bulletproof <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um so anyway um yeah this thing's um picked up on the vibrations of the fish um Post incident, I've done a bit more research on sharks too, and um, turns out they can sense these vibrations through their lateral line up to a couple of hundred meters away. So what I think has happened is that this fish has been struggling. Sharks been some distance away, came in, fired up, and came in hot, mm. and um, and then it's came into visual zone. Um, so again, shark research: um, a sh bull shark at full charge is about forty odd k's an hour. So because we should say that it was a bull shark. Yeah, yeah, which shark. has been confirmed by DNA analysis yeah. from the wetsuit. Which is cool, we've got to so go into rad, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so it came in hot, and that's about 10 metres a second, roughly. So when I saw this thing, say, one, two metres away, I had like, you know, point one, point two of a second to react, um, and it was on me. Um, and then scream at it. Fortunately, it got a bit of a fright, let go. How long do you reckon um, that? Yeah, jar. I know it's hard to... Yeah, that's a good question. Is it a second? Um, is it five seconds? I reckon, no, nah, I'd say like maybe maybe one, two seconds. It was, yeah. it was quick. Grab hold, grab quick hold. shake, and then yep. you've screamed hold, at it shake, as a reaction. Scream. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's let go, and then um, and then again, piecing it together afterwards, um, it's uh, my, my wrist is sort of dragged 
um, along its bottom jaw and, and cut tendons, nerves and whatnot um, in my wrist. So for people just thinking, like just listening to this and haven't seen Rob, like Robbie's arm, the, the wound, um, which is healed fucking really, really well, um, we'll get into all that as well. It's If you imagine, like, I don't know, you kind of imagine, in my mind anyway, I imagine something coming at you from behind and turning around, you, you kind of think you, your initial reaction would be to put your like a, your bent arm up, which is a typical mm. human defence position. So what you're saying, what he's saying by the bite mark is it's not across his upper arm and forearm, top and bottom like a big white, like it's got your whole elbow in its in its in its mouth like that. It's, it's like arm straight out, so it's really got the one bite mark on the top of the arm, and then obviously as you've pulled your your arm out, it's dragged those teeth on the bottom of your wrist. Mm. So there's the, the top of your wrist was not torn up as much uh, or. No, nah, not at all, man. Not, not yeah, at all, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it hasn't bitten the top of that wrist. That's like a drag mark mm. on the on the way out. So that's yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, about there. And so, yeah, I guess as well, fortunate um, in a number of reasons. Um, one, had I had my arm bent, it would have been bite in the one mouth radius, yeah. jaw jaw radius. It would have been a bite on the upper arm and through the uh, forearm. Yeah, forearm being smaller bones, mm. I'm almost certain it would have just and straight through and I yeah. lost my hand immediately yeah. um, so having my arm straight avoided that happening which yeah. is great yeah. and also with that goes the main artery of your wrist as well And yeah. so as it turns out it did get an artery it was only the uh, minor artery of the wrist so apparently there's two arteries there um, and the ulnar nerve and FCL which is some cartilage thing and wrist tendon a few other bits and pieces I can't remember the names for but trivial body parts mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah I scream Fuck. at this thing and um, and yeah again as I said before diving within the limits is important right so I didn't feel like you know it's breath I was bear fishing 13, yeah. 13 metres down that was one um, of the first things I thought about mm. when speaking to you as well like how, how did you run out of breath like you, you said you were alright yeah I was sweet yeah. that's also one that's of just, the that's training I that's think. also one of the things that anyone that's been underwater and you said about how fast the shark moves, um, you feel when you see him, even small sharks, you just feel like fuck me. These these things are so superior in the water to the way we move, and and talking about them as the dogs of the ocean is such a good analogy because people who I'm always like um, always real nervous around any any sharks underwater. Um, just because I often think of it like that as well, like like you said with dogs, it doesn't take a, a a shark that's big enough to actually kill you or eat you to to do a lot of damage. If you're at the end of your breath, um, or you're really stressed out, and a shark was to grab hold of you, it's like a dog grabbing hold of you, and it only takes a pit bull to kill a person or something smaller, you know. And they're definitely uh, more dangerous than a pit bull. Mm. So that's the it's such a good analogy, like the dogs of the ocean, man. It's and this was a big shark, anyway. It was for, yeah. for a bull shark, especially like you know. It, mm. So it wasn't a wasn't a juvenile or, or or an adolescent. It was a pretty pretty hefty bull shark, it was eh? A mature bull shark, yeah. So again, um, with the bite analysis from the wetsuit, um, they look at the tooth spacing. So uh, twenty two millimeters uh, from um, yeah twenty two millimeters point to point of the teeth was what the measurements from the wetsuit were. I've got some cuts in my arm that suggest it's slightly more than that as well, but yeah. 
22 millimeters equates to a 3 to 3.2 meter um, bull shark. So that's they do get bigger, but that's still considered a mature animal. Mm. Um, I've heard of them being up to four meters, mm. but at that size, you're looking at 250 to 300 kilos of fish. So because they're you know, thick, bull sharks are fat. They like, are. Bull man. sharks are a good name for them because yeah, they they, they are, kind of like the yeah. bull of the shark world, aren't they? Yeah, Big, they are thick. thick, much like a I mean, sort of like a great white as well. You know, they yeah. just get massive girth to them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty big animal coming at me full speed, and there was quite an impact. Um, probably something as well that's um, well, I know that I'd like to point out too is the um, the shark had a clear choice between the fish and me. Mm. So at the time, the fish would have still been about three meters away from me. Now, sharks are, as you said, they're very efficient in the water, very clinical, mm. and. Um, I've been in situations where I've been literally having a tug of war with sharks <laughs> with my fish, yeah. um, even multiple sharks, and they're going for the fish, they're yeah. not going for me. And, yeah. But in this case, um, he was just a big enough shark that he saw me as potential prey. Yeah. Um, and if I was in his shoes, I would have come across that scene and am I going to go for the little tic-tac-sized blue bone yeah. or am I going to go for the main course? Yeah. Unfortunately, I was the main course. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, he's just... That shark was he or she um, just doing what a shark does, you know. Mm. They're just a wild animal, and um, they, you know, just saw me as prey. And, and like you're saying, it's uh, some people have, have said that about oh, the, the shark was going for the fish, but they were they weren't in your situa- in your situation. They and, and that's it's it's not inconceivable that a shark's going to attack a person specifically. They do that sometimes. Mm. Yeah, sure, he was brought in by the fish and he made a decision when he got there. Like mm. you said, this isn't his first rodeo, mate. He's not freaking out life or death situation. He's just there hunting and he mm. made a decision on the fucking, at the time and went for, like you said, what he thought was the yeah. main course. So. Yeah. And, you know, on that note too, it's a, risk, yeah, it's a risk that we accept as well. Mm. Um, it's not like I went into it. Um, thinking that you know I'm totally immune from any sort of shark attack, and yeah. it's just like when I jump in a car, I'm not immune to having a freak car accident. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to accept risk in life. Um, that's just part of living. Otherwise, you just don't live. That's right. Um, so you know, unfortunate, but you know, obviously the love and the experience of the of spearfishing is, is overrules that risk. Well, it has so far anyway. <sighs> Yeah, we can get into some of those statistics and, and that and that whole thing about um, why something like spearfishing is so attractive to people as well. But let's let's finish the the story. Um, mm. But we haven't even come to the surface yet. No, <laughs> we're still underwater. <laughs> yeah, mate. So um, so yeah, I, sh- I scream at the shark. Let's go. And it. A lot of people have asked me, did it hurt? The answer is no, not really. Um, just was a just was a dull thud, much like a almost like getting punched in the arm or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that was just the impact of mm-hmm. the um, of the of coming a, in at of speed. a three hundred, two fifty, three hundred kilo shark smashing me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I come to the surface, and I actually, first of all, what's going through my mind? Damn it, I've been bitten. I knew exactly what had happened. I knew yeah. I'd been bitten by a shark. It's like oh, shit, and. I put my right hand up to the wound because I knew, okay, what's important now? Priority number one, mm. control of blood loss. And so yeah. I put my right arm on my right hand, rather, on my left arm at the wound site, and my hand just sunk into my arm. And Whoa. it was a pretty, like, 
it was a I was like, wow, this is a bad bite. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I make my way up to the surface. Um, a lot of people have also asked me, were you scared of the shark coming back, mm. particularly while the blood in the water? Now, it wasn't a huge concern of mine, and I think because I'd given that shark a bit of a fright, I'd um, I think I'd put a little bit of fear into it. Yeah. And so it was keeping its, or clearly did keep its distance because it didn't come back for a second go. And I had about a, I got to the surface. Okay, what's next? I need the help of the boys. So I started screaming at Ben, who was in the water. Um, Bro, being bitten by a shark. Bad, man. It's really bad. Need your help, bro. And then uh, when it started getting closer to the the boat, started yelling at Clive. he was so were you just on your back sort of back back kicking at this stage holding right. your shoulder with the other hand yeah yeah holding my shoulder um sort of yeah like a backstroke type of position obviously still had my fins on so yeah i was able to still make pretty good speed yeah um you're not feeling lightheaded or anything at this stage no nah, i was yeah, feeling adrenaline's feeling fucking good running. yeah just yeah. just went straight to adrenaline mode yeah as i said no no pain um funnily enough the um the cramp i didn't even notice the cramp either Oh yeah, that was gone. Um, yeah, well, I still had the cramp because <laughs> came back. Um, yeah, but I just the adrenaline just took over. But yeah, um, yeah. as I was in hospital, my lit, my calves were so sore because the really? cramp was so bad. It literally like pulled the Locked muscle, up. and um, so I had these two sore calves. But I was like, probably not a major concern at the yeah. time. But worth but noting. yeah, just interesting though yeah. that um, that I would have had gnarly cramp and I just mm. didn't even notice it because of your body overrid that. And, yeah, yeah, it's like okay. Anyway, um, Clive did a fantastic job. He um, while I was making my way to the boat, got first aid kit. We had that on the boat. Um, we had bandages, towels, everything on standby. Clive's the, the brother-in-law yep. as well. Um, meanwhile, James is still asleep, fortunately. So, um, yeah, he was lying on the fish bag, which is like a insulated soft bag. Yeah. Um, and so a nice comfy bed for him. Yeah. And, um, and We had fish in it. No, nah, I didn't have the fish oh, on it. Um, we actually bag. we had the fish on on what's called a stringer, so you know what a stringer is, but just for yeah, everyone yeah, listening. Yeah. Um basically just a, a a chain which you you hook your fish up onto, that's at the back of the boat. Mm. Again, some people might be like, Oh, you had fish dangling in the water, but that's not what attracts sharks. Um what attracts sharks is the is the movement. I mean eventually sharks would find yeah. your fish. Of course it's hanging um, out. Yeah, yeah, but it takes them a Doesn't, long time, and, and I dare say, even if it's, if it's hanging on a boat, they're mm. sort of scared by the presence of a boat too. Pretty sure the ocean's full of dead animals. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so anyway, um, we had the fish on the stringer. Um, annoyingly, we lost all those fish on the, uh, on the mad rush back into shore. Oh, <laughs> they didn't get pulled in. <laughs> it wasn't a high priority at the time. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. Anyway, um, I jump on the, or actually get to the back of the boat, and Clive just got superhuman strength, just one arm, just dragged me into the, into the boat. Ro- Robbie's, Robbie's no featherweight either. What are you weighing in at, fucking Robbie? 95-odd kilos or 95 something. 95-odd so. kgs, mate. Mm. Clive's probably about 85, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, one-handed um, bicep. Bicep curl essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he did a great job there. Um and I knew, okay, what do I need to do? Keep the wound elevated and stop the bleeding pressure on the wound or tourniquet. Yeah. Now <laughs> the irony is I've actually had a tourniquet on the boat um for <laughs> several years. Yeah. And it normally sits in a little box up at the front, um, just on the dash. Yeah. And because I'm in the process of selling the boat, still for sale, by the way. Um, to anyone listening, <laughs> a story. I'll put a post up on uh, on Facebook. Everything Hillland comes with a story. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, um, yeah. The uh, the tourniquet was 
gone because mm. I took this ugly box off because um, I'm selling it and it just didn't. I just didn't want it to detract from the um, from the aesthetics yeah. of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> so, Always the fucking one. Yeah. Oh, mate, so funny. But um, it actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise too because a tourniquet, as we found out later, wasn't going to work um, because the wound was so high up um, at the boat ramp as part of the um, the um, dressing the wound on the boat by the paramedics. They had a tourniquet just in case. but mm, didn't use it. it. Um, or it just kept slipping down into the wound. Uh. Um, so... What we eventually did, as we'll get to later, the weight belt was the perfect um, tourniquet yeah. for this position. So, again, just a little bit of bad luck, but good luck at the same time. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so where did you so, put it? on the Under the arm and around the top of the shoulder? Yeah, yeah. So basically the first first thing was, Clive's looking for the tourniquet. He's like, where is it, man? I was like, I don't know, dude. I moved that box. I'm sure I left the tourniquet in the boat, but I was, I was like keeping calm mm. um, fully conversant but equally you know there was a sense of urgency because yeah. I knew I was losing a lot of blood very yeah. quickly and yeah. um, so I said oh man stuff it just get pressure on it and so Clive just smashed the towels on and just put pressure on um, meanwhile Ben's at the back of the boat by now coming in and um, and he jumps on um, takes his fins off and, and puts his spare gun um, away safely and then um, Ben took over with the pressure with the towels I said to Clive, grab that knife, go and cut the anchor rope. And yep. um, so Clive shoots up to the bow of the boat, cuts the uh, anchor rope. I find out later, um, <laughs> almost had a double tragedy because Clive's walking back into the cabin of the boat and slipped and the handle of the knife brushes past the side of his neck, right past his artery. Oh, man. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And oh. luckily the blade was pointing outwards. Oh. It's like, oh my God. Could imagine you imagine, slices his neck imagine open. the carnage. Imagine poor <laughs> Ben. <laughs> oh no. Poor James. Yeah. Out. So yeah. Like, lucky, unlucky. But um, yeah, um, Clive jumps back on, on out the front. And um, meanwhile, I actually had my GoPro running. Mm. And I would have captured that footage on the GoPro, including that moment as it's come mouth open towards me. Oh. Um, it's that GoPro came off my head at some stage, so the GoPro is actually attached to my dive mask. Yeah. Um, and that has fallen off along the way somewhere and ended up in the bottom of the in ocean. The deep blue ocean. And unfortunately, with the your boys, spear gun. Um, yeah. So spear gun went. Uh, yeah, spear gun obviously ditched that as soon as it happened, because um, yeah, had to prioritise you mm. know, holding myself together. Um, and a uh, you know five six hundred dollar spare gun becomes pretty irrelevant at that moment, mm. um, and yeah. So um, then I said to Clive, mate, drive towards uh, drive near drive towards the port. Um, so Clive hasn't got a huge experience boating, mm. um, so I just said drive towards the port infrastructure, go full noise. It's a stop start button rather than turning the key. So I said yeah. you know turn the key, keep the key on, push the button to start it, and just go full noise. Um, so that's probably something that's good for anyone who goes boating just as a takeaway lesson make sure that your people on the boat are familiar with with how it works and yeah. you know navigation etc yeah and um and at least that way if An something emergency. does happen like then they know, can get they can, you back to help. the fucking ramp yeah. yeah so um we had visuals on on the port infrastructure anyway from the spot so yeah it was all good and um yeah, so just started punching it, and then James starts waking up at this stage. 
And um, yeah, James so. is the five-year-old Robbie's five-year-old yeah. son who's on who's on board. Yeah, he's, well, he's four, but four. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. on board asleep. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so he's he starts waking up and it's like, Dad, you got blood on my leg. <laughs> like, sorry, buddy, just got a little cut on my arm. Just need to go to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> we're in we're in a bit of a hurry, mate. And uh, okay. so so yeah, and he was a little bit upset because the boat was going so fast and it was a little mm. bit bumpy, um, but. I just that was my main focus was trying to minimise his exposure for yeah. it and um, yeah. and just so that yeah well as I've said said to you before Dave that um, my main main focus was okay well I cannot die in front mm-hmm. of James that would just be so messed up for him to see that yeah. and that was such a huge powerful motivator and equally motivating was just to keep him calm and and as happy as possible in the circumstances so I just kept reassuring James and fortunately that fish bag that he was lying on is nice and soft and Mm. so that was he was actually kneeling on that as well so any sort of physical Mm, blows or bumping was was um, dampened from that yeah so that was that was really good for James to have that and it probably gave you something to concentrate on as well rather than the actual entire levity of the situation like something to anchor yourself to a little bit eh? yeah absolutely fucking boy I need to fucking we need to sort this out yeah. fucking for, for that. And, yeah, handy, man. And then another great thing was that I was face-to-face with him just the way we were both sitting. So yeah. I was, you know, able to just chat to him directly. He was right there. Yeah. And so just having that close, you know, close personal space with him was yeah. also able to keep him as, as calm and happy as possible. Yeah. And I just had to keep reassuring him. I was like, mate, you're doing so well. Hold on with both hands. Doing yeah. an awesome job, buddy. Um, so yeah, um, roughly about halfway. Oh, sorry. Then um, Clive was very good as well. Like he calls up um, the Ambos, Triple um, mm. Zero, obviously, um, and just simple instructions. Um, Port Hedland boat ramp, priority one. Um, shark attack um, opposite Dome Cafe, um, ambulance, and just those yeah. few simple notes yeah. and he just repeated that three times it was yeah. kind of hard to hear over the yeah. the motor and all you know yeah. and going full steam and then he just left the line connected put the phone down and then just kept focusing on driving yep. um, when we were roughly halfway uh, Clive and Ben swapped over mm-hmm. and um, because again Ben's much more experienced in, the, in terms of the boating side of things so so, so what's Ben doing up until this point um, so Ben's just, Ben's just pressure on yeah, yeah. actually mean Meanwhile, as well, um, I'm looking around the boat going, man, I know I need a tourniquet. I'm looking around, what can we use, what can yeah. we use? It's like, Ben, your weight belt. Um, so Ben did a fantastic job. He kept um, kept the pressure on with one hand, and then he managed to take his weights and his belt reel off his weight belt yeah. um, with the other hand. Yeah. So, yeah, really fantastic effort. And then I helped him feed that underneath my armpit. Yeah. And then we cinched up that, and that was, like, the perfect tourniquet for the situation because, yeah. A, it didn't slip into the wound. Yeah. B, it restricted the blood flow, yeah. but not so much that it completely cut the blood flow off. Yeah, yeah, because it's thick, so it's like compression rather than, rather than yeah. a, a tourniquet, which is sort of thin and cutting in. And the, the risk you run with the tourniquet is that you're cutting off the circulation to the limb yeah. and increases the chance of losing the limb. Yeah. So with this, it actually still allowed there to be some circulation. Yeah. And um, so that was, yeah, really lucky. Mm. Um, again, just, you know, lucky, unlucky, but it's one of those things that fell in my favour. Even the fact we had two adults on the boat as well, because mm. um, sometimes, yeah, and and often we'd go out just with two of us, um, you yeah. know, one one diver and one, well, yeah, both diving. But I mean, you know, 
to have one person driving the boat and one able to treat me was yeah, was really good. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then uh, then we swapped over, um, and Ben called up um, Wally um, from GT Diving, um, knowing that he's um, often at a shop and. Fortunately, he was. So when we got to the boat ramp, Ben knew that we'd need help getting the, you know, getting the boat secured and yeah. up at the um the the, the, the dive shops right across the road, right across the road mm. from the um the boat ramp up here in, in Port Edland as well. Yeah, so that was that was super fortunate that he was there and available at the time. So that was a that was a huge help. Um, oh yeah, probably rewinding a couple of steps as well. Um, as we're getting um closer towards the uh, towards the harbour entrance. Um, massive set of tug wakes, which is not unusual. Um, you know, they're big, big boats, big heavy boats of tug, so they put out a decent wake. Um, ben slowed right down, um, which is, you know, the smart thing to do, especially the first set of wakes is coming towards us. And um, so that really was hard for me because I knew that I didn't have much time and I couldn't afford wasted time. It felt excruciatingly just, slow. It did, mate. And then... I said to Ben, just send it on the next one. And I knew the next set of wakes would be travelling away from us. Yeah. And that's exactly what he did. He just hit it, the first mm. wave, and we just launched over the next <laughs> um, couple of waves that yeah. are part of the, the tug wake. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, full airborne. Some people actually commented we were at the boat ramp about our awesome air on the way in. <laughs> um, probably some of the interesting things as well was, while this is all going on, was what was going through my head in terms of... Um, prioritisation and what's important and one thing that was really quite amazing was when I was like you know on death's door um, you know, I was well not quite but I was losing a lot of blood and the only thing that mattered was surviving for my family that was you know all of the other things in life that you think important just weren't mm. and that was that was a really powerful part of the experience having having that thought process and that was something that I'm um, yeah, you know, kind of grateful for in a lot of ways um, because it was a really powerful experience there. Mm. And like as much re- as like a reset, yeah. And everyone who knows me knows how much I love my hunting, gathering, and spear fishing and all that stuff. And for my, for even someone like me to say that's not important, like I didn't care about my arm even. I'd already accepted, mate. Probably gonna lose it. Whatever they got. Even was thinking to myself, oh, they got pretty good prosthetics these days, and. <laughs> I'll be right, <laughs> you know. Ever the optimist? Yeah, as long as, as long as I survive, that's all I care yeah. about. Really is, and that was that was very interesting. And there was one stage when I had a conscious choice to stay and fight or give up mm. and go to the warm, comforting, you know, peaceful place. Mm. And whether that's unconsciousness or death or whatever. Mm. I'll never know because I chose not to go there. Yeah. But what I do know, I had a stark black and white choice and it was a conscious choice yeah. whether I wanted to go there or not. And that was extremely powerful as yeah. well, man. Um, and, yeah, as I've, as I've said previously, that I've got an absolute lot to fight for. And so yeah. um, I think that's that was a really powerful part of the experience too for me. Um, so, yeah, anyway... Um, we're we're boosting in and um, get to the boat ramp and Ben did a fantastic job of um, calling everyone off the boat ramp because mm. it's been quite a nice day for boating. There were a number of, of boats at the boat ramp yeah, and uh, they all got out of the way, which was really awesome. 
What did he um, say? What did he say? He just said, Shark Tank, you know, jump out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, everyone got the message pretty, pretty quickly. But yeah. yeah um, when we pulled up at the boat ramp, as I said, Wally was there, um, helped secure the boat. Um, there was actually another vessel um, rear ended us at the boat ramp. Yeah. Who was that? Uh, well, it was a government department who yeah. I need to follow up with. Um, yeah, Department of Transport boat. Mm. And I don't know exactly what their side of the story is, but all I do know is that it didn't particularly help the situation. Mm-hmm. And I need to, yeah, I actually need to reach out to them and just explain to them what happened based on my account based on the other people I've spoken to who were there as well and just at least say hey guys you know you might need to consider some training here some extra training and improve yourselves because I think in this situation um, yeah they were more of a hindrance than a help and that was that was a bit disappointing Um, because even uh, your version of the story versus their version of the story aside they definitely rear-ended you at the boat ramp and they definitely boarded the boat during while they were trying to get you off off the boat, which neither of which were were helpful or necessary. No, that's right. And I actually thought, because um, I was obviously a bit of a delirious state by by then, um, but I still, even though partly delirious, I still knew what was going on. Mm. I'd seen that boat. I knew it was an official boat. Mm. I thought it was marine rescue, and I had chatted. Um, the these people actually boarded the vessel. A um, couple of things they could have done better. One was that both of them jumped on the one side of the vessel where I was lying and where I was being, you know, treated. So all of a sudden you had four people on one side of the boat yeah. and the boat's, you know, listing over to one side quite quite dramatically. Now when you've got four people on one side of the boat, there's a big, you know, a lot of weight on one side. And and then, um, yeah, one of the um, one of the one um, of these people boards a boat and I thought it was marine rescue and I said... I knew they'd have uh, bodyboards on their boat. So yeah. I said, I said, get me a bodyboard, please. I need a bodyboard. And, yeah, this person just froze, unfortunately. And understandable. I mean, everyone reacts differently in these situations. Hence the training that they probably need. Yeah. And, and as I said, you know, I'm not yeah, trying to be too critical because I'm sure they were trying to help. Yeah, obviously. Um, they were trying to do the but, right thing on their job or whatever. Yeah. They, yeah. Um, and, yeah, so... But whatever, um, what turned out it wasn't Marine Rescue, it was actually uh, Department of Transport, yeah. and they, yeah, didn't particularly help that much, and um, Ben actually told them, guys, you just got to get out of the way, please, yeah. um, and so they, they cleared out of the way, which was, which was good, yeah. um, and when we first got there, I said, there's an ambulance here, and um, they hadn't quite arrived at that stage, it was a relatively quick trip in, like 20-odd minutes or something, mm. Um they have to come all the way from you know almost south and get get up etc. Yeah, yeah. But I did hear the sirens and it was such a relief to hear the sirens. Yeah, it's like, oh, thank bet, God. I bet. Police were already on scene, which was great. Yeah. Um, they'd already kind of cleared off traffic etc. and um, yeah, you know, ready for us. So that was awesome. Um, and then yeah, the ambos came on board and um, I knew the paramedic that was treating me. Um, I won't name her, but um. But yeah, I said hello, and such and such. Yeah. Only, only not naming her because um, because I haven't spoken to her. Yeah. She's okay yeah. if I share her name publicly. So um, yeah. But um, anyway, I knew her because my wife's also a paramedic. And um, said, oh hey, <laughs> she said, oh Small no, deal. Robbie, I didn't expect to see you here, mate. It's like yeah, well here I am. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so then she treats me on the boat. Um, 
first thing was to get uh, get fluids in and um, a drug called TXA, which is a clotting agent. Mm. And so they put that in a, an IV line, um, waited a few minutes for that to kick in, and then um, proceeded to remove the towels and, and bandage it up. And that sort of just really stems the flow of the blood through that. Through yeah, the wound, yeah. Eh? yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. So um, that's cool. And may I don't know if they gave me pain relief on the boat at that stage or any sort of you know sedation or anything. Not I don't, the whistle or anything. No, I don't think so. I don't because that's the that one with the, what they use, um, isn't it? The whistle because it's. I think that wears off yeah, quickly, yeah. so in case you need other um, um, pain relief mm. when you get to the hospital yep. or something like that, eh? Yeah, so then um, everyone rocks up onto... Well, then uh, then they came with a uh, with a canvas-type um, bodyboard, um, yep. you know, stretch, canvas stretcher. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's sort of sitting there with a stunned look on their faces like... You have a, you have a crowd? Many, yeah, yeah, so we had... How many people you reckon were standing oh, I think there must have been about five or six, because everyone knew yeah. they had to help carry me, right? So, yeah. Um, but, and, yeah. and I said... Everyone's wondering how this, how this is going to work. I said, lay it down here beside me, yeah. um, and put it there, and then I'll shimmy onto it. And yeah. they're like, okay, cool, yeah, that'll work. So I did that, um, and then yeah, I think I made a joke about them not dropping me because my wife's in paramedic and she kicked their ass. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, apparently did make some joke that made everyone laugh. So <laughs> nervous laughter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your arms almost falling off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do, I do remember asking. You said to Karis, I said my, one of my first questions: Am I going to die? Yeah. Jeez, oh, I just dropped your name. Sorry. Yeah, no, we Damn can, it. I, can edit, I can edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> said, Am I going to die? Um, said, No, you're not going to die. As if she's going to tell me I'm going to die anyway, right? But still um, feel nice to hear yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but I said. Am I going to lose my arm? And I wanted an honest answer. And she said, honestly, mate, I don't know. I said, fair enough, I can live with that in either case. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so everyone carries me into the uh, the waiting ambulance. And um, my first, well, actually taking a couple of steps back too. Uh, when uh, when all this is going on with the, with the boarding of the boat, mm. Clive actually had to... Um, Act as a counterbalance and go to the uh, go to the port side of the boat so yeah. that we weren't listing over so much. Yeah. But meanwhile, James had already been taken off the boat, mm-hmm. and my priority was still making sure that he was safe. Yeah. And I wanted I wanted him to be with Clive. Yeah. Um, so yeah. unfortunately, until these people were off the boat, <laughs> Clive couldn't get off the boat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then um, said Clive, go get James, mate. And so James went and took Clive. He actually took him over to the Dome Cafe. Yeah. Um, found out later um, that um, he went up and was like, geez, what do I do here? I need to call up Emily, my wife. Um, yeah. And um, geez, what am I going to say to her? Geez, what am I going to do with James in the meantime? He went up to the counter and said, oh, can, can I please buy an apple juice? <laughs> oh, mate, so like, uh, he covered in my blood, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, it's like, right. look like you've had a bit of a hard time, mate. Just just take the juice. <laughs> so <laughs> shout out to the dome crew, thank you. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then Clive grabbed a couple of colouring in um, pads from the dome, and James was doing some colouring in, and, and a couple of um, a couple of ladies came over from um, one of the businesses nearby, mm. so um, and looked after James and, and helped oh, with yeah, the colouring right. in. So that was really nice as well. So to those people, thank you so much as well. That was really kind. Yeah. And. Um, Clive, meanwhile, was pacing up and down, covered in blood, like looking like a psychopath, probably to anyone yeah. who doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and he calls up Emily, and you know, just gave her the news, like, "Look, Robbie's alive, but he's been bitten by a shark, and it's pretty bad." Yeah. Um, and then, meanwhile, I'm in the ambulance, and 
I said to the um, paramedic, I need to call Emily. I said, are you sure? I said, definitely sure. So I just called her and reassured her, I'm okay. Actually, in fact, um, by this stage, I'm given um, some ketamine. And I was off chops. And um, you in the K-hole, mate. <laughs> apparently what I'd say to her, I was like, babe, it was sick. <laughs> Make sure you get my GoPro. Tell She's the boys to get my GoPro. She said you were worried about the GoPro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I thought I was actually thinking, I was like, man, how many shark attacks are captured on GoPro like oh, that? Um, yeah. I, I don't know if any have been captured that would have been Not quite like, like that. that. No. So, I mean, the fact that that thing, that thing's still is achievable to find but it's yeah as the days go by it's getting more and more remote um on that didn't you didn't your spear gun wasn't that mm. uh didn't they get found yeah really interesting and really cool side story um mm. so after i was in hospital five six days in hospital i get a uh, message from one of my mates oh a spear gun's been found um I said hmm interesting okay and um Put me in touch with this with this guy who'd found the spare gun. It was one of the tugboat operators, yeah. and um, and I, I described the spare gun to him, and it was definitely my spare gun. And yeah. it's like no way it had drifted the 13 kilometres, followed me home mm. all the way back at the harbour entrance. Um, I just after five days floating at sea, and somehow it's just managed to end up right got there. in that channel it's, and just came in. This bizarre, mate. Yeah, how yeah. cool um, is that, man? So yeah, really, really cool. And um, I said to a man, you know, like I'd really appreciate back if that's okay. And and yeah, to his mm. credit, he gave it back to me as well. So you yeah, know, shout out. Um, yeah, thank you to that dude. Um, yeah. Um, as if he didn't. Nah, man. Nah, nah it's mine. Fine. Yeah. Keep it. <laughs> Come on, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Within his rights, too, I guess. But um, you know. Um, yeah, the be, ultimate dog act. Yeah, <laughs> would be a bit rough. I'd like to think if I was in a similar situation, I'd give it up. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to need it, bro. You're in yeah. hospital. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that's going to be going back in the water. I think I'll make some sort of a, uh, oh, yeah. you know, a bit of a, I don't know, plaque or memorial, like a, like a, yeah, memento sort yeah. of board yeah. out of it. Yeah, I guess. Um, along with a bit of the wetsuit and. Um, yes. Yeah. So the fucking shark uh, teeth diameter and the DNA. Mm. Explain all that to us. That's fucking cool. Yeah, wicked, eh? So it turns out that DPIRD, Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development, um, mm. who I think the uh, Department of Fisheries also fall under the banner of DPIRD. Um, okay. So they have shark investigators that investigate all the shark attacks that happen um, in WA waters. Yeah. And um, so the police needed my wetsuit. Um, for that analysis, um, mm. they also wanted the GoPro footage, like like how, mate. I'm not giving the GoPro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it comes at a price. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> big time. But um, anyway, it turns out we couldn't find it. Yeah. So so far, at least. Um, and yeah, so they had to um, bag it up. Um, you know, blood and all intact because um, they have to test. They tested it for DNA down mm. in Perth. So this thing got bagged up and shipped down to Perth. You can imagine after. You know, a couple of days and the Pilbara heat and transit was pretty minging by the yeah, time nice. old mate unwraps it. So, yeah. you know, credit to him yeah. <laughs> doing his job. Yeah, definitely be used to it. Um, but yeah, so they um, DNA tested it and confirmed that it was a bull shark. So which the, is the shark's saliva amazing. in yep. your blood. Yeah, so the saliva on there on the outside of the on website. The yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, um, sometimes I'll even be able to tell what other species you've been catching while spearfishing too. Yeah, right. Um, and because it's, it's rubbed up on you. Yeah, 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 which is which is pretty incredible. It was a giant blue bone that attacked you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure, man? Yeah. They do have wicked teeth. Man. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so um, and then they also look at the uh, at the bite. Um, marks and the wetsuit too and, mm. uh, and from that so he as I said That's he established 22 millimetres uh, tip to tip of yeah. the teeth yeah. um, and they have charts which correlate that dimension based on the species to a size of shark so yeah. it's it's pretty clever science that they've got it's cool man um, and I also you know meanwhile I was also just trying to piece it all together in my mind too yeah. how, how it all played out and that's when I came to the conclusion that the only way I could have got this one bite is if my hand was down its throat. Yeah, yeah. And it also explained the drag marks over the wrist, etc. Yeah. And you can tell the difference between cutting marks and drag marks too. Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of forensics that go into it, which yeah. you don't, wouldn't initially think of. It's just mm. really cool. Um, and I ran my theory past the shark expert, and he agreed as well. He's like, yeah, I agree that's what happened. So yeah, yeah. Um, that, was, that was reassuring as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, um, uh, what happened after that? So, yeah, we haven't got really got to the wound itself, I, I guess. Have oh, we? yeah, I guess we haven't. No, I just derailed it then. Mm, yeah, no, thanks, man. Um, yeah, so the the wound was very deep. It was mm. down to the um, down to the humerus bone. Um, um, yeah, completely cut through my tricep, and then the other muscles beside that were also partially severed. So deltoid and whatever the other one is, yeah. um, partial bicep as well. Um, but fortunately, on your upper arm, the bicep run. Oh, sorry, the artery, main artery, runs along the inside of the upper arm uh-huh. and um, under the bicep. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, although it had been through, intact, been through over half my arm down to the bone, um, it missed the artery. So again. Uh, lucky, lucky, unlucky, yeah. um, and the only other he got was that um, one of the wrists, which fortunately was minor. Um, funnily enough, we didn't even uh, know that that was an injury until we we're at the boat ramp, and then uh, the, the paramedics, wrist. yeah, the wrist didn't, weren't even aware of that. The um, paramedics cut the wetsuit off um, uh, while I was still on the on the deck of the boat. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I do remember that blood man there was so much blood inside my wetsuit and mm. I just felt that warm rush of blood just you know oozing out as the wetsuit was cut off me it was yeah. really bizarre feeling that and I was like wow and I remember looking around the boat just seeing blood everywhere just coagulated coagulated blood so I'd lost a lot of blood yeah um and yeah so no wonder I was sort of you know close to losing consciousness yeah um, anyway then I didn't so really wonder know. you didn't man yeah really. And I didn't really know how this works either. So it turns out what they do is um, in these sort of situations, they'll take you to the, the hospital, the Hebron Health Campus, mm-hmm. stabilise stabilize you, and then after you're stabilised, then throw you on the RFDS plane. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's um, there weren't RFDS planes on the ground in Hebron, so they actually sent, I think they even sent two, um, one from Mekathara, the other one I'm not sure where. Um, and, yeah, um, I got... About four hours later, uh, three, four hours later, I got transferred um, to the RFDS at the airport and flown to Perth. So they just keep you stable um, yeah. at, in, the, in the emergency department yeah. here in Headland? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, in the, in the Headland Health Campus, the surgeons had to assess me as well. Mm. Um, so, again, amazing team in there. Um, funnily enough, a couple of them recognised me because I'd been in there about two months earlier from also a blue bone related incident. Really? Where I was a dumbass during one of our Northwest Bear Fishing competitions. I was weighing a big blue bone. Yeah. And um, the uh, the blue bone had um, slipped off the, the hook of the scales 
and my first priority was to protect my prized fish from getting bruised on the concrete below. Yeah. So I, I put my foot out to try and break the fall of the fish mm. and, um, you know, just sort of let it down gently. Yeah. <laughs> but what happened was that one of the spikes from the, from the fins went into my foot. Oh, really? And then all the way down to the bone and then oh. snapped off. And oh. it was like a big... A big spine, man. It was about an inch long, this I thing. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, <laughs> that one fucking quiet. Yeah, man, there's yeah. a scar on the top of my left foot there. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, something to do with the left-hand side of the body and blue bones. So they're like, this um, fucking guy, yeah. he's hunt for blue bones again. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, the annoying thing about that injury is that um, they didn't want to, they weren't too sure whether it was even anything in there or whether it was just like swelling from, um, you know. The impact. From the impact the, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um but it, it was very stingy, and they ended up doing a scan on it. Couldn't get in for a scan um, until the two days later. <laughs> and then really? It, then, uh, then it got the scan done. Turned out there was a big spike in there, which they, they had to, go to and fucking... cut open and, and remove it. Oh, um, your foot should be killing the whole oh, time. Oh, dude, it was so bad. Yeah. Anyway, so um, so I feel them. Yeah, I made a few jokes about blue bones and yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and the whole team in the Head and Health campus were amazing, man. Killed they were, it. They were really good. And good. um. I must have had at one stage, I reckon, a dozen people around me when I first came in, and they were just so professional and and really just action stations. It was it was, it was incredible. Um, and the surgeons had to assess the wound, mm-hmm. and I said, "You're gonna have to give me something for this." Um, and so I think they flushed it out there as well. Yeah. And they did some X-rays too. Um, they gave me some ketamine there, and man, that just absolutely, yeah. Back on the ketamine. Yeah, mate, and that just knocked me for six. It was like I had pain by now. Are you feeling the pain by no, this point? I wasn't point? feeling Still the not. pain by then. They um, there was a little bit of pain, but nothing too bad at all. Really. Not what you um, imagine. No. And they gave me um an IV paracetamol, which you know you oh. think of paracetamol was like you know your home drug, but it was yeah. actually I do remember that was like really effective, and I think that might have been the only pain, pain relief that I that I was on. I could be mistaken there. Um, and then, yeah, they gave me the ketamine for that inspecting the wound part, and yeah. I had complete dissociation. I, um, and I remember thinking, okay, you can fight this or you can just let go, and this thing's just going to take your brain wherever it wants to. Mm. And I had to do that, and, um, and it was actually a really pleasant experience, at least initially. <laughs> yeah. And um, I do... <laughs> <laughs> you do I, recommend ketamine? Is well, no, I don't. I definitely don't, man, because I'll, I'll get to the other part that was a horrible part of it. Um, but at least initially it was great. Yeah. And, um, and I remember all, everyone was around and I was still whacked out and only sort of vaguely remember saying this, but mm. I said, everyone here who thinks drugs are bad, you're all wrong. <laughs> drugs are effing awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then um I started sort of calming down and, and my vision was coming back and then I remember looking up and it was like all hallucinating and there was some like it was a it turns out it was a clock on the wall but I remember seeing these numbers on the wall and yeah. I thought I was dying man really and I was like am I okay am I okay like I thought that I'd gone south somehow and yeah. then that I was bleeding out or something and it was yeah. super freaky it turned and, the trip um, turned oh, on you. it did man so yeah it was a it had a dark side to it <laughs> and, um, yeah. so no I would not recommend ketamine terrible yeah. in yeah. fact I mean you know whole uh, side story all those yeah. um you know 
there's a huge opioid crisis in the states with lots of people dying from all that sort of stuff. Eh? So I mean, can I mean an opioid? I don't it's know. Different. It I think it's different. Eh? It might be different. Yeah, yeah. it's but, a dissociate. Um, I'm not sure what what yeah, what group know. of drugs it's in. Yeah. But it's probably. Different. I don't think it is an opioid. Eh? I don't think but so. In any case, do not yeah. uh, abuse. Uh, you know, don't use prescription or, abuse, or, yeah. or government medications. No, mm. um, they're the they're the worst well, ones. Yeah, the ones yeah. the government. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. And then, yeah, basically, oh, that was another interesting part of the story too, was that um, the media man was like already at the boat ramp. Mm. And I'm like, how the hell did that happen? I think it must have just been a coincidence. Someone must have been there. And I'm not sure if this was a professional journalist or someone who is just a sort of like, you know, um, wants to be there and, and fancies themselves as being a part-time journalist. Well, what were they know. like? You, know, you might not remember. What were they like kitted out in? they uh, have like a I, vehicle or in some equipment or a fucking... Well, a you. decent camera is all yeah. I know, and um, the big fucking yeah. yeah right. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't, don't actually. I wasn't things. even aware that they were there, but someone told me when we got back to the, when we were at the Hidden Health Campus. Yeah. And then they actually followed us to the Hidden Health Campus, and um, the police had, had told them to move on, and um, and someone actually just some random in a Ute. Um, jumped out of his ute and just gave this this chick an absolute serve and said, "Have some respect, mate." Yeah. And um, so, shout out to you um, yeah. as well, um, Mr. Ute, dude. Very much appreciate it. Um, dude, because, you yeah, just praise the journey. Yeah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> off here, I mean, at this stage, and it's not just um, limited to me. A lot of these people have no idea. Like, someone might be deceased or about to be deceased, yeah. and there's just a complete invasion of about, privacy. Just and just um, about the scoop. It is, man, and um, you know it's like at what cost? You know, I think there's some real serious ethical questions mm. there, but you know, I understand Jerno's got a job to do as well, mm. but there's probably a more tactful way you could do it, like perhaps ask. Um, but yeah, yeah. In any case, um, yeah, they they screamed me off when I left the um, left the hospital and um, and kept me, you know, maintain my privacy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then. Yeah. Um, it was a four-hour flight down to Perth, so those planes got about 400. Oh, really? Yeah, they got 400 k's an hour as opposed to about 800 odd k's an hour for your commercial yeah, um, right. flights. So, yeah, so that was a that was a very long, tedious flight. Oh, fuck oh bet. dude, the other part of the story as well, I mm. didn't say, is that they also tested my hemoglobin levels in my blood. Um, to see if I needed a blood transfusion or yeah. not. So shout out to blood donors there as well. And, um, you know, thank you guys um, who, who have donated blood because mm. although I didn't need it, at least it was there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they tested me and turns out, no, had enough um, hemoglobin, so I didn't need blood, which was awesome. Yep. Um, I wonder whether that was because I was so dehydrated possibly because um, I'd maybe my blood was a bit thicker than uh, normal because I'd yeah. been diving for, you know, three hours and it yep. was... 25, 26 degree water. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, that was anyway. good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was good because and there are you, risks what, associated with it. What blood type are you? Um, a plus. A, which is yeah, like yeah. a common one. Pretty common, it? I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, it's also good to know, like if you if you got loved ones, you know, well, what's your um, you know, what's blood your family's type. blood type? Yeah. It's good, good to know. Yeah. In case that ever does need to happen. Mm. Um, but yeah, so didn't need blood. Um, got transferred to the RFDS and I was severely dehydrated and they wouldn't give me any water because in case I needed surgery. Oh, fuck. So I was nil by mouth, but I was allowed to suck on some ice cubes. Oh, sick. And so I had, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like, man, normally after dive, I'd smash like three yeah. or four litres straight up, straight yeah. as soon as I got on the Doesn't boat. Doesn't even make it to your stomach, hey? Dude. It just gets absorbed oh. on the way down. And I'd finish an ice cube, my mouth would just be bone dry straight oh. after, possibly 
it's accentuated by the trauma and everything I was yeah. going through as well. Maybe um, the ketamine dries you out. Yeah. <laughs> another another X next to ketamine. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, so long flight to Perth. And then at the um, Flying Doctors, they gave me a couple of those um, super duper super icy poles. Oh, yeah. And, Not um, even a hydrolyte. Oh, dude, nah, man. They were heaven. It was the best, mm. best icy pole I've ever had in my they life. Do, they do hydrolyte icy poles. Yeah, they do, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. They just had them on site. I don't know. Maybe it's for, um, it could be for um, sugar. when people are having sugar lows, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, but in any case, yeah, so I, I had one straight up. She's like, man, you really look like you're enjoying that. Do you want another one? I said, yes, please. So good. And then, um, so she gave me another one, pineapple one this time. So that was great. Um, first one was orange. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we landed in Perth and um, and then at the uh, Janicott Airport um, had, again, like heaps of media there and mm, yeah, they, right. did a, they did a great job of sheltering me off but no matter how good they are there's a lot of angles and there was one photo of me in the stretcher yeah. um, which made its way out there into the media land um, and the awesome thing was when I um, when they opened the ambulance doors at the Royal Perth Hospital mm. um, the whole family was there including Clive and James as well oh, so that was amazing man yeah so um, shout outs to our mates um, Soph and Dill from Awesome Air too. they actually um, paid for the um, yeah organised flights for us at last okay. minute so yeah which um, I'm hoping to get reimbursed for anyway but they just sorted it you know no questions asked yeah, and, um, yeah it's cool man yeah so um, yeah thanks for that guys legends, legends. Um, yeah they are legends yeah um, and then yeah just seeing the family there man was just incredible yeah. um, and then yeah they, they took me into the um, yeah. sort of assessing room the surgeons there came in had a look at me had to rinse it out again um, and initially they um, the orderly or the assistant person they had the wrong stuff they weren't meant to rinse the wound out with this particular um, you know liquid yeah and it stung like shit yeah, oh right. it was just horrendous and uh, I was like they're like oh should have used that it's like oh cool good to know now yeah. Well, they they rinse it with claw hex instead oh, of fucking know, saline man. or something Maybe. like that. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so long is what they meant to use. So yeah. yeah, that's what they did in the end. But um, oh. the initial stuff was, was oh, not. No, this is vinegar. Damn yeah. it! <laughs> <laughs> Wrong bottle. <laughs> the vodka. Yeah. Don't get mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. Then the um, the surgeons were incredible, dude. Like they just they got me doing all these hand exercises, and amazingly, I could still had reasonably good use of my thumb, index, and middle finger. Um, the um the yeah the pinky and the um and the ring finger were completely like you know no no movement whatsoever, and then from various movements they could tell exactly which nerves artery oh sorry nerves and tendons were um were compromised, and um and then took photos of the wound um in preparation and I was told you won't go into surgery until the morning, um they have a priority list as well, mm. um so. At that stage, I was number two priority. Um, I was told the earlier procedure was more like a simple one, but just easy, get it out of the way, probably someone, you know, with a digit chopped off or something, mm. I don't know. Um, then I, yeah, went into surgery about lunchtime. I fortunately got a feed and a drink of water too, by the oh. way. So I was told you can... Do you, you can... feel a bit of resentment towards the number one priority? <laughs> Not really, man. I was like, I was... I was sort of surprised, man, that I thought, geez, I thought I would have been in for the surgery. What else is going on I here? Know, I, like, <laughs> I thought I'd be in for surgery straight away, but. The fuck's happening at this place if I'm not the fucking priority? <laughs> yeah, Ended up being number three priority in the end. Yeah, um, right. Someone came in overnight with, a, with another um, 
yeah, another need, urgent need. So Jeez. there's a lot of people getting hurt around the place. Yeah, apparently. fucking themselves up. Mm. And uh, yeah, so six-hour surgery. Yeah, um, and I was told beforehand um, we may they may need to uh, borrow a tendon. Uh, sorry, a nerve rather from my Just leg. Borrow one. Borrow borrow a nerve from my leg. Do they um, return it? No, and <laughs> um, and that would have resulted in permanent numbness to part of my left foot. Fuck. So I was like, well, I guess it's you know probably a lower priority than having a functioning hand. So yeah, yeah. you know, do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, didn't actually think of the repercussions on my surfing at that stage though. Someone pointed that out later. I was oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, numb foot might not have been numb foot might not have been so good for the surfing. But mm. anyway, um, yeah. Um, and yeah, I woke up from that surgery, and yeah, five six hours later, um, and they'd actually managed to do everything in one hit. They said they might have to do it in multiple oh, surgeries, course, yeah. but they they did it in one hit, um, which was awesome. Fuck yeah! Um, turned out I needed a second surgery a couple of days later because one of the uh, tendon repairs had ruptured, and uh, and nerve repair ru- ruptured as well. Yeah. And um, they just said, oh, look, you know, it's better to go back in when everything's fresh. Let's just get it out of the way now. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit of a setback, and that was a bit of a you know sickening feeling in the stomach, knowing I'd have to go through that surgery again. But yeah. you know, say la vie. Um, and you know, ultimately, I just wanted to do whatever was best for my recovery. Mm. Um, so been focusing on that ever since. And you're fucking recovering well, man. Mm. How's the the movement in that hand now? Um, yeah, it's it's getting better, bro. Like it's um, I can only sort of move my fingers a little bit I've got limited range of my fingers mm-hmm. um, I've still got this plastic thermoplastic splint on which is immobilising a few things including um, certain wrist movements I'm only allowed to do one wrist movement which is just a simple back and forth one mm-hmm. um, because these repairs are pretty major on the tendons etc they need to give them time so the repair strengthens before you start trying to trying to move it mm-hmm. but now the the balance you've got to strike is getting the movement so that the scar tissue doesn't bind everything up yeah the scar yeah, tissue yeah, doesn't yeah. discriminate that just binds to anything and everything nerves tendons whatever mm-hmm. so if things are meant to move you're best to get them moving move them. as often as possible but you can't go too hard otherwise you run run the risk of rupturing it and yeah so it's just striking that balance so now i've got to do on the hour um certain exercises yeah. and that'll be ongoing for a long time and if I keep doing that and everything goes to plan, I'm, I'm hoping I'll make a fairly close to full recovery. Yeah. Um, but that could be up to 18 months mm-hmm. um, before I get you know everything sorted. And even then, I might not be 100%, but things yeah. are looking fairly encouraging to be fairly close at this stage. You can where, where you were fucking more or less... Um You'd come to terms with the fact that you may lose your arm from the mm. get-go yeah, to then, okay, we're going to have compromised um, movement to the hand to then maybe, you know, hopefully you can come pretty close to to, mm. to 90 to 100%, which is bloody awesome, mate. So there's some heap of – there's there's actually a heap of positives in the whole story to take away, hey? There like, is. Really. Yeah, like, yeah. Obviously, the negatives are pretty obvious. Um, and but once you're in the situation, like the reaction time, a lot of the the details you described on the trip in, the great people that helped along the way that made things work out, the fact that you've kept your arm, um, there's all these little little positives scattered throughout that story that mm. I, I, I you know like the surgery went well, they got it done in one hit, you know he had to go back, but but still like there's just, yeah, there's just positives everywhere, mate. You, I think one of the, the after the initial 
real red alert had gone, uh, uh, had sort of come and gone. One of the things I thought about as well was like, thank fuck you, like Robbie's an engineer. Think like you don't need specifically to manually work with your mm. with with your left hand, like and, and it is your left hand, not your yeah. right hand. Like yeah. there's these these positives everywhere, man. Like you know. It's not going to affect you, you, your capacity to make money and to continue working once you mm-hmm. get through the initial, you know, healing stage and, 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 and physical trauma and everything of it. So that's awesome, man. That's huge. Yeah, yeah, bro. And probably as well on the financial thing too. Um, I've got income protection insurance which covers me. So awesome. You know, that's that's worthwhile considering if um, you know, if you got a family that depends on you, mortgages, bills mm-hmm. to pay, etc. Um, you know, consider it because you just don't know when these sort of things are going to happen. And um, certainly, I'm I'm very grateful that. It's just taken away that financial pressure of, of returning to work as well. It's one um, of those old cliches, man. Like we hate getting things that you hardly ever need or maybe never need, but mm. when you need it, you need it. Yeah, and, and big time, man. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, super grateful, man. And, and I think as well, like, you've got to look for the positives as well. And mm. and any sort of, you know, trauma or bad experience you're going through, you know, you can always try and find those positives and frame things in a positive way. Um, you know, you can choose. I could could have been a sook and just whinged about the fact that a shark got me and how mm. unfair it is and how unlucky I am. But, mm. you know, what's the point? Yeah. Um, focus on the things within control and just, um, you know, control, that's, control the controllables. That's life in general too, hey? Like the negatives are going to be there, mate. The negatives mm. will present themselves. You don't have to go looking for those bastards. So don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. Deal with them when they pop up and try and find the positives mm. in the situation. Yeah, man. Yeah. can be a difficult job sometimes, but, mm. you know, like... It can know. be a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, um, yeah, two weeks in hospital and then got discharged and um, hung out in Perth for a couple of weeks because I had um, fairly intensive um, physio sessions mm-hmm. and... I wanted to wait till all the all the wounds had basically healed up before coming back to Headland, just because it's hot and humid up here. And it's supposed to be. The, well, it's supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, fucking beautiful up here. Know, Don't dude. tell everyone, but no, it's no. absolutely beautiful here right now. Yeah, La Nina got to thank for that. Eh? It's been amazing. Mm. So, unless you're on the east coast, then La Nina's not really your friend by, yeah, the, by all accounts. You know, but, they get they get all the good mm, shit. We're gonna take what we've yeah, got. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So um. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell, bro. Like um, it's just a. A case now of just you know ongoing physio and just grinding it out. And um, one of the cool things as well on the note of physio, they've got this telehealth um, service where I've got a, a physio up here that I go and see in person, and then we dial in to the um, Perth specialists mm, and cool. take us through, um, yeah, take oh, us yeah, through yeah, the yeah. exercise etc. Cool. in real time, which is really neat and yeah. good. Good to see that's the use good of that se- technology. Yeah, and, it's a good si- a yeah. good setup. Especially mm. having the, 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 the local physio here as well to help mm. like interpret that, make sure that yep. you're doing the things that the specialist recommends mm. correctly and yep. that's cool, man. Mm. Well that's the that's the that's the attack. That's the, the meat of all that situation. <laughs> How long have we been talking An hour and ten hour and ten minutes. Far out. So if you do see Robbie around, um and ask him about what happened. He's going to send you towards the podcast that listen to it. Yeah. It's all been covered here now, and the man's sick to death of fucking talking about it. <laughs> we dragged it out of him one last time. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, man, there's uh, there's plenty of other things for us to, to talk about um, around that. We spoke about a few of those things beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, Behaviour of sharks. Um, um Dealing with the adversity of of these kind of things in the in the moment, um, even even particularly around the behaviour of sharks, I think there was 
there's a lot of online sort of you know the keyboard warriors people love to jump in when they see these things going on and comment and make their put their two cents mm. in and, and, and you know everyone's a everyone's a uh, um, an expert on these things but you you were there in the situation you're pretty adamant that that the shark went for you, not the fish. And there's, I think some people have mentioned the typical cliche um, comment when these kind of things happen that, oh, well, we're in their territory. Mm. What's your opinion on that? That's a, yeah, it's an interesting one that we're in their territory. And I do, I disagree with that. Um, I, well, humans have been involved in the ocean for as long as we've been homo sapiens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've, We've crossed water. I mean, you know, when Aboriginal people first came to Australia, um, you know, there was, despite the water levels being lower, they would have had to cross bodies of bodies water. of water, like yep. significant bodies of water. Um, you know, it's all throughout human history. Where do people live? Typically, they live on the coast. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where populations are concentrated. Certainly, the case in Australia. Um, you know, we've been on on ships, and um, it's been a huge part of human culture for a long time. And especially and in subsistence hunting cultures, some places mm. that the, there's not a lot of um, land animals available mm. to eat. So that yep. uh, they are, you know, typically the fishermen. That's just typically yep. what they what they've eaten yep. uh, as part of that culture. Mm. We spend a lot of time in the ocean as people. Yeah, and I would, and based on that, I my my opinion is that it's not their territory; it's shared territory. Mm -hmm. We just don't happen to be the apex predator in that territory. Yeah. Yep. And I think most people who um, love the ocean accept that as well. Mm -hmm. I certainly do. It's just, it is what it is. And, you know, that's maybe that's even part of it as well is that, um, you know, that risk and that adventure that comes with it, you are becoming part of the ecosystem, becoming potentially part of the food chain. Yep. And that's, you, you have to accept that. Um, but if you apply that same logic, I mean, where your house is built used to be the territory of snakes and kangaroos. Yeah. Where your footy field is. What if, you know, that's that's a snake's territory where you got yeah. your footy field. Yeah. I'm sure that if we released a heap of snakes onto the footy field before the next AFL game. Everyone got bitten. We'd be, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just when you apply that same logic to other habitats, like yeah. why is the ocean exempt from that? It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And humans have been modifying our environment. Forever. For, forever. It's um, a big place, the ocean, man. It's a big place to rule out. Can't mm. go in the ocean or you deserve to get bitten by mm. a shark. That's a fucking big area not to go in, man. Mm. Like, it is, man. You know, and anyway, I think if you're on Team Human, you should be on Team Human, mate. Mm. Now, if you go in someone's backyard and a dog mauls you, you go, well, you were in his backyard. You go, no, mm. fuck that dog. <laughs> Put that fucking thing down, man. Yeah. So, you know, you got to be Team Human here. Mm. Yep. And um, I think as well, one of the interesting well, one of the arguments as well is like, you know, sharks are an important part of the ecosystem, and mm. I 100% agree. Yep. Sharks are incredibly important in terms of, um, you know, maintaining a balance in the ecosystem. They're mm -hmm. effectively the trash cans of the ocean, and they, they perform a lot of really important functions in the environment. Um, and saying that, we're also starting to have imbalances, I think, as well. Um, you know, we're, we're targeting fish, for example, um, commercially and recreationally mm. but yet um, a lot of sharks are protected mm. um, by either size or um, and also exempt from commercial fishing um, mm -hmm. up here in the northwest the commercial fishing for sharks stopped in the mid 90s mm. so there hasn't been any commercial fishing up here for um, what's that 30 40 years right 
that also correlates to yeah, 30 years. So that also correlates to um, the average life expectancy of a shark is about 30, 40 years for most of our species of sharks. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden we're in a situation where we're getting a lot of mature sharks out and about. And I think that... You they know, really are the apex predator. They don't see us as 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 a pre- as predator mm, to them. They yeah, don't see and, us as a real danger. Yeah, and it is becoming an issue. Um, no real easy solution to this, but there are some issues out there at the moment with, particularly in areas with high, um, a lot of recreational fishing mm. um, pressure, where shark depredation, where sharks are stealing, um, arguably their fish, but whatever, sharks are taking um, uh, fish that have been hooked on a line. Um, yeah. And those sharks aren't stupid. Yeah. So now that they've learned, okay, boat equals easy feed, yeah. you'll rock up to some spots. And it's starting to happen more and more in Headland now too, yeah. where sharks will be circling your boat before you've even dropped the line. I think and that's pretty common in Exmouth, eh? And mm, there'll be a bunch of other places yeah. where there's a lot of yeah. recreational fishing. Like people go there specifically for recreational mm-hmm. fishing. As you said, they get a lot of fish off, off the line from people. I think you yeah. mentioned earlier, might have been before we, we hit record about uh, perhaps uh, more inexperienced spear fishermen um, mm-hmm. just giving the fish up as soon as they see an aggressive shark near them and then essentially you're feeding that shark, man. You're telling that shark that, oh, man, when I hear that noise and I feel those vibrations, there's a free feed around mm-hmm. here somewhere. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah. Um, and one of the interesting things too is the um, fishing limits are put in place so that you're protecting the stocks, the mm. fish stocks. So, yeah, you're limited up here to... You know, depending on the species, might be one coral trout, you know, three mm-hmm. red emperor, mm-hmm. up to five bottom fish species. But the problem is, in some of these areas, guys will be catching 20 to 30 fish to get their bag limit because mm. they're losing a significant percentage to sharks. Now, that's further throwing out the balance of the ecosystem in those areas too because yeah. all of a sudden you're taking out a lot more fish um, to get the same output, what you're taking yeah. what you're taking home. So. Yeah. Um, and those fish are really slow, gl- slow growing. Most of those bottom fish species as well. So, um, yeah, again, no real easy solution, but possibly targeting those sharks that are that have that learned behaviour in those locations could yeah. be part of the solution. But got to do something, hey? Yeah, I, I think you do. Um, but you know. There's a lot of people out there going, oh, shark population's declining. Not in Australia. You're looking at the ma- yeah. at the macro, which is fair enough, because in China they mm. kill something somewhere in the in the ballpark of 20 to 70 million sharks per year, which is fucking disgusting. We're not advocating that you just that for that kind of behaviour, mm. but in waters that are that are commonly accepted to be used by reasonably large populations of people, well, there needs to be some sort of shark control, mm. like. Around the beaches of Perth, there's yep. fucking you can't have those monster fucking great whites just coming out and just fucking ripping people out of existence. <laughs> there's fucking they're monsters. Yeah, mate. They are fucking monsters. Mm. When you when you look at a giant shark or a giant fucking crocodile or a huge cat like these fucking apex predators of the world, it's so weird that we even bother making up like make believe fucking monsters to 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 scare kids with. They're fucking real monsters <laughs> in the world, man. They're fucking terrifying. You can't have them swimming through fucking Cottesloe Beach. You know what I mean? Especially the as big as great whites get. Mm. And like you're saying, with some of the learned behaviours around fishermen and around like I think we spoke earlier as well about some of the cage diving you know sharks you know they're really learning that people equal food and and we're not a danger mm. you're teaching those sharks to 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 really uh prey on humans we've got there needs to be some equalization there it needs to be we're not again the the shark populations we're talking about 
predatory sharks around Australian waters, they are not endangered species. They're not declining mm. at no, all. Not so it's a different conversation to fucking mm. the Chinese, Chinese killing 50 million sharks for fucking shark fin soup every year. Yeah. It's a fucking different... And they're all small. Fucking, it's a different kind mm. of shark that they're killing as well. Yeah. It's a completely different conversation. Yeah. Interesting as well. Um, you know, a couple of points you touched on there. One is that shark cage and shark behaviour. I don't think that's particularly good practice. All they're doing is, um, you know, if it's involving any sort of burly or chum to attract the sharks, that is not a smart move. And I think that is potentially killing people. So if you care about sharks, if you care about people, I would not uh, go on a, on a shark cage tour. If you're going to do it, make sure you go with one that doesn't chum the water. It might mean you're less likely to see a shark, but at least you're doing it with a clear conscience that you're not potentially, um, you know, teaching some shark to associate people with food and therefore kill someone one day. So I think, I feel like that's quite an irresponsible practice that needs to be, that needs to be stopped. Um, And just shark cages, no burly, fine, go for it. Um, But yeah, I guess as well, what is interesting is there is some technology that's getting better and better for non-le- shark non-lethal measures yeah like i mean you've got um you've got your shark shields which are an electronic device you've um, got one of those i do yeah yeah but um but i choose not to use it up here um and around perth absolutely because as you said those great whites are huge and i get um, nervous i get fucking nervous just thinking about those things mate, man. i mean if this if even though this is a solid shark 250 300 kilo shark that's a, that's like a big animal nothing compared to a, a couple of ton great white so like i wouldn't have been how big they get man. i wouldn't have been coming back from a great white coming at full charge definitely Can you not imagine just seeing one of those in the Dude, water it's I bigger know. than your boat yeah, yeah. Just, it's fucking that is a monster mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah i guess so there is that as an option, and um, and the shark shield puts out an electric signal which uh, messes with their ampullae of Lorenzini, which is um, their what ampullae of Lorenzini. Jeez, these are the uh, so the that one three times fast. The sensors on the uh, on the snout of the shark's nose, um, mm. which all sharks do, and basically the bigger the shark, more the more developed and more sensitive. Yeah, because I've are. seen some documentaries about those um, shark shields. They had like a. Okay, so it was a dead fish, so maybe it's not a gra- not the greatest test in 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 hindsight because we were talking about before it's actually the vibration of the fish that really attracts the the shark and not just a bloodied fish in the water. But they had a bloodied fish in the water with a shark shield stuffed through the middle of it. Mm. They had it dangling in the water, and they had these sharks. They were they were great whites that were coming in. And they would turn the shark shield on when it was within a couple of meters of the of the fish, and you saw them just like. Bang, doing yeah. like a 180 yep. turn and fucking off when they turned that shark mm. shield on. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, it looked, it looked good. It looked good on the documentary. I don't know if they, how, how much uh, reality is involved in that, but that fucking looks promising. Mm. They they are very effective, man. Like there's um, scientific studies that have been done, and I've researched this at length long before I got bitten by a shark. And they've done a couple of tests with the, one of the earlier papers, which had a toad seal decoy. Mm and they had uh, a static bait where the uh, shark's head was placed next to a dead tuna. Mm-hmm. Now, with a dead tuna, um, the sharks would eventually always take the the fish, but in this case, I think they had the fish located a metre or so away from the shark shield device. 
but it did double the time. It went from 122 seconds to 244 seconds. So they they were hesitant. They were hesitant. Um, And the interesting part was the seal decoys. So they were towing these seal decoys. I don't know, some of the people listening might have seen these, these videos of the sharks just smashing those seal decoys they tow behind the boats and getting full airborne. Yeah. Now, I can't remember the exact figures, but they basically uh, flipped a coin to see whether the device was turned on or off mm-hmm. and did, did separate towing runs. And they went from a significant number of breaches where the shark goes completely out of the water, mm-hmm. um, a significant number of interactions where it just comes up and kind of makes a pass at it. Mm-hmm. And then when the device was switched on... It went to zero breaches and only two interactions. So even a white at full charge was getting turned by these devices, which is pretty amazing. And that speaks to that um, advanced... Like sort of um, survival skills and everything yeah. that you were talking about before mm. as well with a, with a large mature shark yep. they're like a bit more cautious than the yeah. than a juvenile mm. or an so adolescent. The only downside of using these is that they're quite a bulky device mm. and so they are That'd quite be... an encumbrance to wear. It's probably about a one kilo or so, um, or maybe seven eight hundred grams weight on your ankle, and also there's a long um, uh, antenna device sets up and. Um, Analytical field between uh, two anodes on the uh, on the device. Could that not be cathode. incorporated into a weight belt more effectively? Um, possibly, mate. Yeah, I mean, maybe you've got a good business idea. But part of the um, part of the uh, one of the things that is is key is to have a decent separation between your um, between your two points. Mm-hmm. So it sets up. So you the still need electric the, field you still need the antenna. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the bigger distance between the two, I think, it's the anode and cathode. Um, the bigger the electric field that gets produced, yeah, and okay. um, yeah. and so and it also um, diminishes very quickly. Um, like in terms of, um, you know, once you get outside of a certain radius, it's virtually undetectable. So they've got to um, come in anyway. Yeah. So there are some people that say that they've noticed sharks becoming more curious when you've got these things turned on. So yeah. if they're in the, maybe they're in the radius of just feeling it, mm. then they come in a bit closer to see what it is. Possibly, mm. I think that has some logic to it but yeah. um, I've heard of some which there's saying, also some implications then that if you're wearing one and the dive buddy's not do you yeah. attract a shark in then it goes whoa I'm not going there but mm. this fucking dude here is toast <laughs> <laughs> and, and some some sparrows will have a rule that if, if one person's got them everyone's got them that's a pretty, that sounds like a pretty re- yeah. responsible yep. rule to have um, but it is a big encumbrance, encumbrance on your dive as well because it's quite a bulky thing you also have the disadvantage occasionally gets shocked by them as well Mm. Um, I'm not particularly phased by it. Um, getting shocked by it doesn't really bother me that much. Mm. And um, so, as I said, I'll wear it down in Perth or Southwest or anywhere. What's um, the shock like? It's pretty pretty good, man. It gives you a full like body twitch and um, like, like holding an electric fence. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty pretty similar to mm. very comparable to an electric fence. Fuck um, it, if it works. And yeah, yeah four um, roughly four pulses a second. So it's um, you know fairly fairly high frequency yeah. um, electrical pulses, yeah. Um, and yeah, sharks don't like it. They don't um, like it. Yeah. Then there's other things. There's also um, you know magnets apparently, which also um, have an effect on the um, on the amplitude of Lorenzini. They, are they, these the same people that think magnets going to cure your fucking arthritis and shit? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. A, I'm trying to think of the name of the um, of the magnet guys. It might be. Yeah, I can't. Name escapes me. But anyway, they're uh, they're actually having them as a fishing device as well. You can use them as a fishing sinker. Quite an expensive device. Damn, and, I was um, trying to remember the name of the fucking that old advert where the 
you wear the magnets around your wrist for your arthritis. <laughs> it's like some weird Canadian lady who's like advertising it. Mm. Fuck, I wish I could mm. remember it then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's that. And then um, what else? There's also actually, I found out since the attack, there's um, there's bite-resistant wet, wetsuits mm. you can get. Kevlar? Um, Kevlar, I think. Think or it might even be Dyneema, um, but just a different, yeah, different material. Um, the less um, famous cousin of Kevlar. Mm. And uh, yeah, so you got that. You've also got um, a rival brand which operates under the same um, under the same principles as the um, as the Shark Shield, mm. um, and they also have a surfing version. So, so does Shark Shield uh, version yep, yep. on your surfboard. Um, yep. So a few few things out there, but what what I'm getting at is I think the technology is getting close to being very closer to being very effective, and I think as time goes on, it will be less of an encumbrance on your activity as well. And my ideal world is that everyone gets to live in a healthy, balanced ecosystem, and um, without fear of you know having the technology to protect us entirely from sharks. That's yeah. the that's yeah. the ultimate, right? It's all about the the, the engineering, who, the, the the minds that get involved in it. I suppose, mm. like surely, like if you had the Elon Musk's of the world, fucking looking at at shark shield technology, we, we'd probably be fucking there by now. Mm. Yeah, you'd be. I'd say I'd say you're right, man. Yeah, yeah. and it's also about the money that goes into it too. Mm. I mean, um, you know, WA is in a pretty unique, and only a handful of places around the world are in sort of similar circumstances. Where it's an issue. Reunion Island is another one as well. Um, you know, South Africa, South Africa, um, California, Ram- yeah, Florida, California. All the people over yeah. there in the water, yeah, Florida. Mm. Warmer so, waters in Florida, hey? They'd be, so they yeah. wouldn't be great whites there. They'd be more similar species to, to the headland. Like get, headland yeah, eh? a lot of bull sharks and stuff. Bull yeah, sharks, very yeah. tropical. They're fucking real nasty, eh? The bull sharks. Are they the responsible for most shark attacks? Um, That's how I've heard it. I don't know about most. I did I did hear. Um, Maybe not fatalities, they're but up attacks. There, they're up there in the top three. I think yeah. tiger sharks and I don't know if it's whites. That's Maybe weird with tiger sharks because a lot of people swear that tigers, it's rare. Like, yeah, I don't know what the mm. actual t- statistics are, but mm. I've been in the water with tigers and um, not as aggressive, hey? Well, uh, openly, yeah, not as openly aggressive. They're they're pretty sneaky though. Um, mm. Once out of the Montes, um, I was real crystal clear water, like easily make out the bottom sixteen meters. Um, we were targeting Spanish mackerel, and um, I'd been down on the bottom waiting, came up fishless. But as I'm swimming back up to the surface, I was probably you know, very near the top, and I looked behind me, and this four-meter tiger, as round as they come, like this thing was at least a meter diameter. It was so fat. I think it might have been pregnant or freshly Whoa. eaten something. I don't know, but it was yeah. so fat, man. And uh, this thing had just snuck right up behind me, and um, and I turned, and then and saw it, and then it um, just turned and cruised away. But it was only just meandering up to me, yeah. just checking me out. But I just could though. not believe how such a massive animal and that crystal clear water could sneak up like that did that get you out of the water um no man carried on diving like you could tell that it was um it was not an aggressive difference between me and you robbie (laughs) (laughs) that's dave out the water at least till we get to a different spot i'm going to google it right now um most common how we word this most jamie jamie pull that up (laughs) no jamie most common uh shark Attack species. Surely that's good enough. Mm. Hit words there. Yeah. Um, while you're looking that up, um, that same dive, I actually had an interesting experience too where um, 
we moved to a different spot and it was out at um, a place called uh, Trial Rocks out at the Montebellos and there's a lot of sharks out there. Um, very fishy water, very sharky water. Often sharks means fish. <laughs> Often sharks, when you see them spearing, it's actually a good sign because you know there's going to be fish around. Mm. Um, double-edged sword, of course. Um, and yeah, this time I had three sharks gang up on me, man. I hadn't even shot a fish and I'd probably started to get a little bit complacent and I drifted away from my dive buddy and was just sort of, you know, just cruising along and, and then all of a sudden these these sharks just started going me and by this stage it's in about 18 metres of water and they were charging up from the bottom and then turning away just below my fins and they were getting closer and closer and more aggressive. It was a lemon shark and two bull sharks mm. and they just got this like almost a frenzy going on and, and feeding off each other's behaviour and I was lunging my spare gun towards them but I didn't actually want to poke them at the stage, which isn't often uh, a tactic that you can often do, is, is give them a bit of a prod because mm. they don't like getting hurt, right? But sometimes there's a bit of a balance too because you can actually fire them up even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in this case, it's like, oh, I just had a feeling if I poked it, I might even make them more aggressive. So yeah. I just kept them at distance by lunging at them and showing a bit of aggression to them. But I thought, man, if I didn't have a spare gun at that stage, I would have been toast, man. They would have totally gone me. I don't think I've ever told you about my encounter with it was two small bull sharks. Um, I'd been out diving with Lukey, and and I'd shot at a blue bone and missed the shot, so I didn't have a fish on the spear at all. And then probably was that sound that brought him in. Pulled the spear, in, and, as, and as I was coming to the top to reload my gun, I saw two bull sharks coming towards me. Yeah. And I popped my head out of the water to see how far. They were. And we had we were diving together. We'd you know the currents are like up here. We drifted away from each other. I popped my head up, and I was about thirty meters away from the boat. And I was like, oh fuck, got a bit of a trek back to the boat. So I swim on my back, looking at the looking at the two sharks, and they were they kept about a meter and a half away from my fins, like just crossing over each other like that. <laughs> and I had my spear gun wasn't loaded, and I kept looking over my shoulder to see where the boat was. And they were just it was like they were just fucking with me. And that's where I got that idea of the analogy of a pit bull. They they were about the size of a bit, you know maybe a meter and a half sharks, about mm. the size of a pit bull, a big pit bull in the water, and just crossing over all the way back to the boat like that, just fucking a meter and a half away from the end of my fins. And I was just like, get the fuck away from me, mm. you pricks, man. Got to the boat and just jumped the fuck out. I was like, oh, I'm done in this spot for the day. Yeah, just fucking with you. I've got the I've got the thing here on Wikipedia. Shark attack. Every year around 80 unprovoked attacks are reported worldwide, which is not many. Mm. It's, that's fucking not many. No. There's billions of people in the world. There's hundreds and th- hundreds of thousands of... I mean, is there millions of people in the water every year? Probably millions. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Millions of people yeah. in the water every year, right? 80 unprovoked attacks. Um, many people fear shark attacks, serial occasions, blah, blah, blah. Out of more than 489 shark species, only three of them are responsible for a double-digit number of fatal, unprovoked attacks on humans. Mm-hmm. All up. It's the great white tiger and the bull shark. White tips probably killed many more castaways. What does that mm. mean? Shipwreck people. Oh, because they come in and fucking mm. as scavengers and fucking... Yeah, yeah. But these are not recorded in the statistics. Oh, jeez. Mm. Statistics, there's a graph there. One um, interesting and misleading um, part of those statistics is that uh, spearfishing is deemed to be a provoked attack. Now, in some cases, that would definitely be true. Certainly in my case, um, I would say, fair, fair enough, that's a provoked attack. I shot mm-hmm. a fish, fish was struggling, shark got fired up because the fish was struggling. Yeah, but servers wouldn't be deemed to be a provoked mm. attack. Um, but yeah, I think 
if that other um, scenario I just described at the Monty's was, um, and if I was attacked then, that would have still been deemed to have been a provoked attack, but I'd argue it certainly wasn't because I hadn't even shot a fish. Mm. I was just in the water. Yeah. And, um, yep. But by the statistics, because I had a spear gun on my hand, it would have been a provoked attack. attack. So wouldn't fall in that category. But I guess semantics at the end of the day anyway. I've got some fucked up statistics here for you. Confirmed unprovoked attacks since 1958. United States, right? There's fucking 350 million people in the United States. Total attacks, 1,106, 1,106 attacks. Um, 37 fatal attacks. Mm. Australia, 22 million people. 646 attacks. Wow. 260 fatalities. Jeez, that's a lot, eh? And in Africa, with 360 attacks, 94 fatalities. So mm. we get attacked fucking... Way more often per capita than than the states, and the a, a third of them are fatal. Mm, mm. That's fucking pretty crazy statistics. That is, man. I mean, when you think about like what happened to me, I mean, that's another thing to be super grateful that I'm here, man. Oh, yeah. You know, like a lot of things went my way. I could have been one of those fatalities. Quite well, last someone died this year, bro. Last fatality in Australia was 2022. Mm. So we only have 500 less attacks all up than mm. than America. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, pretty mad, hey, man. Mm. And that's another thing as well. I mean, you get all these, you know, armchair experts who probably watch Shark Week on Discovery and then mm. all of a sudden they're a shark expert. Yeah. They might have, you know, stated at uni and, um, you know, they might have some, you know, education about about sharks and shark behaviour, but it's like, mate, spearfishing up here um, had hundreds and hundreds of interactions with sharks. It's mm-hmm. not like... It's not like it's anything new. Yep. And uh, so... And the reality is as well, it's, what we know about a lot of the, the, the ocean creatures is still relatively... Uh, it's, we don't know a, a, a whole lot. Not like we study them like we do the land mm. mammals. Um, it's also different species, different parts of the world. They act completely different in different situations. Mm. Like the people that study sharks aren't shooting fish at the same time. No, they're not. It, it's, so there's a lot, there's a lot of different... You know, there's a lot of variables there. There is what you're getting taught. I'd also add that um, a lot of the time, the academics might have very strong opinions. Um, often, I find putting sharks up on a pedestal and you know mm. almost, you know, like sharks are just wild animals doing what a wild animal does, right? And yeah. that's it. Doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, but it amuses me that people who might be a commercial fisherman, for example, who's Every day, they're out there on the water just about every day. Mm. They know the water far better than some academic who goes and does a research paper and goes out, um, you know, a few times a year. Um, Yet, their opinion counts for nothing Nothing. because they're not officially a scientist. I just think that's that's the wrong attitude. And um, you can't, I guess, um, yeah, you can't underestimate how valid those um, those people are when it comes to topics. Yeah, well, their this. stories and their information should be getting gathered as well, mm. and then on 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 mass. So you don't take the one story yeah. at um, you know as scientific uh, 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 sort of proof, but you can take fifty different stories mm. of fishermen in a certain area, and you can look look for the current trends mm. throughout all those stories, you and can. that can go down pretty well. You know, mm, could factual do. about the behaviour of, of certain sharks. It can, but unfortunately, in science, it's still it's treated it as it was still treated as anecdotal evidence, yeah. which is the weakest form of evidence. Yeah, when it's not in a controlled, 
trial, yeah. then it's not. But does, yeah, doesn't which, count. But in your chat to a commercial for shows, been up here 30, 40 years and, and around WA, mm. every single one of them, Find me a commercial fisherman that hasn't said that shark numbers are increasing drastically, yeah. and yeah. especially the big sharks. There, yeah. I, I'm not aware of one. That and has it's not any in a controlled environment. Well, that should be the the, the best way to, to study things like mm. the, the ocean because it's yeah. not really a controlled environment. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess as well. Um, you know, I probably should segue into the um, in terms of the environment. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about our, um, our something more positive, the, um, the fads and the... Um, I was just about to lead reef. into that, mate. Yeah. Good timing. <laughs> must have read my mind. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Flashback to the last podcast we did. We spoke about the, mm. the uh, artificial reef and the fads that, that, that um, Robbie was as spear, spearheaded the proposal uh, to get in place up in Port Hedland. And things were looking pretty good when we spoke whatever that was, six months ago. Mm, yeah, man. So what developments have we got on that? And just give us a bit of a rundown on what we're looking at structure-wise. Yeah. And- yep. Um, so, yeah, the things have been ticking along in the background. Um, environmental approvals, et cetera, take a long time, mm. um, as you'd probably expect with these type of things. Um, you know, we effectively want to make sure that whatever's being put in the ocean is not going to be harmful for the environment mm-hmm. and isn't going to, you know... Uh, get into interfere with any other sort of activities such as the port operations. Mm-hmm. Um, so a site has been selected for the artificial reef location um, out on the back of uh, Cornelly Shoals. So how, how far out is that? It's a pretty reasonable distance. Um, it's going to be in 21, 22 metres um, of water. That's chart datum. So basically the lowest astronomical tide um, and 22 metres below. So on the very lowest tide, we were roughly 22 metres depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think to get out to that sort of depth, you're looking at, it's about 60 odd Ks, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's a reasonable trek, but in saying that lots of people up here have got decent sized boats. Now, ultimately what I'd love to see in this town is that reef in place, which is going to be the first cab off the rank, um, on the assumption it gets funding. Now, um, all the environmental approvals and everything are are well underway with the EPA, the the federal government body that does these approvals. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's been officially approved yet, but it's probably imminent, if not. Um, And there's also the structures being designed as well. That's all part of the process. What is the structure? So structures structures are likely to be the... uh, I haven't actually seen the plans yet, so um, Rickfish West is, is... you know, the kind of the state recreational fishing body. Mm-hmm. It's just like a effectively, a, well, it's not a volunteer organisation. They are paid, but it's mm. a, it's an organisation that's not affiliated with the government. They're not a government organisation. Mm-hmm. They get their funding um, from grants, I think maybe some government grants, and also you can be a paid member of Rickfish West, which mm-hmm. I am as well. It doesn't cost much. Like, you know, just contribute money towards them and then they mm-hmm. can employ people who... They basically advocate for recreational fishing activities around the state, and as part of that, they've also been the ones who've um, designed and basically managed the whole process of other artificial reefs around the state. So, mm-hmm. fantastic organisation, and we're really lucky in WA that we've got them to represent us. So, they've been the one managing all of the approvals and design process, etc. One of the big players in town, who shall remain nameless at this stage because nothing's official yet, um, has been supporting them as well um, and and doing that. Uh, The structure is likely to be some steel, uh, now redundant steel poles, Mm -hmm. um, 
and some precast concrete units as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have big reef modules, um, specially you know designed to maximise the um, the fish life that grows on them. Mm-hmm. And basically, what this would do would just create a whole ecosystem um, in this artificial reef location over a fairly substantial area. I think a couple of hectares is the plan mm-hmm. at the stage. Yeah, right. So, you know, enough for multiple boats to be fishing at one time. Yep. And um, as anyone knows here who's a spear fisherman especially, get any sort of structure up here and fish love it. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, um, where it's going is just in a pretty barren area of ground. It's just all sandy seabed. Mm-hmm. But once these things get deployed, then you'll start to see, you know, corals and all sorts of stuff starting to grow in them and it'll yep. just generate its own ecosystem. Yeah. Um, cool. So, yeah, really cool, man. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, um, then you'll have yourself. Basically, it's going to be some positives for the environment too because it will take pressure off some of our other reef areas because as anyone who fishes around Headland knows that there's often a lot of empty ground between spots. Mm -hmm. And um, so if you've got something that's basically a a real rich biodiversity hotspot, then that means more boats will target that, which means less pressure on the other reefs. And as Port Hedland's population grows, then that's also a great thing too because it means that our places that are natural aren't going to get as flogged too. Um, This is also another reason why I think we should have a a shallow version of a reef as well. I think the best spot would be Mm. off off the back of Finnegan Island somewhere, maybe like 8 to 10 metres, 12 metres of water, somewhere around there, which would be accessible for your small boat owners as well. Yeah. That's kind of a, still a pie in the sky idea at this stage, but that's a lot. Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah, the town. I think the town really needs it. It would be such a no-brainer, you know. Like in terms of costs of something like this, a couple of million bucks, man. Yeah. And ongoing maintenance, virtually nil. Yeah. Just apart from the occasional reporting and yeah, you know, video survey, just to you know confirm it's still there and yeah. operating as planned, which of course they do because they've got a good track record now. Mm-hmm. So and it would just benefit so many people. It just yeah. it seems like such an obvious one. Yeah. Um, and then the third uh, facet is the uh, the fads, the fish aggregating devices. So those are floating buoys. Um, we've got six of them lined up, and all going to plan again, subject to official announcements. Uh, will be deployed at the end of this um, cyclone season. Okay. Um, so and they go near existing reef, stru- um, you know, reef areas and other other mm. like, yeah, so fishing the, spots already. Uh, maybe a little bit of a geographical or yeah, like a feature on the bottom, like a little rise or something. But mm-hmm. effectively, the fad is just a a big floating buoy on the end of an anchor rope, mm-hmm. and um, they're designed to attract your pelagic species, your surface species like mm-hmm. your Spanish mackerel, maybe sailfish, um, triple tail. Mahi mahi, etc., and they perform. They work best in deep water. Mm-hmm. So, my current line of thinking, which I recommended to Rickfish West, was to have three on the eastern side of the channel and three on the western side of the channel. Mm-hmm. And basically, that'd be again something that a lot of guys go on their boats out that way wide anyway. And so, if you have these fads, that can just be something where they can stop in, break up the day on the way out or on the way in, and yeah. and um, and it also provides some, you know, will provide some really exciting game fishing opportunities and. Again, taking pressure off the reefs. Yeah. Um, the thing I love about it too is that those are all a fast-growing species, mm. highly prolific, and yep. uh, you know the magic word fecund. Fecund. Uh, very, uh, very, you know, fast breeding and, and mm-hmm. high breeding and very sustainable fish. So mm-hmm. um, they grow super fast. And even like you know, while I'm on that topic, marlin is one of the ones that's often like, oh, how could you kill such a beautiful big fish? And yep. it's like. 
I get that, you know, because they are they look beautiful. impressive. Yeah. They do look pre- impressive, yeah. absolutely. But often people don't realise they are a very sustainable fish. There's heaps of them. They yeah. grow very quickly. Yeah. While they might look beautiful, um, it's no less of a tragedy or more of a tragedy than a, um, and arguably less of a tragedy than shooting a big snapper or something because yeah. that thing's taken, you know, 20, 30, 40 years to grow that big. Yeah. Um, so you know, like, what's yeah. the bigger evil here? I don't. Yeah, they're, they're um, they get to maturity in about five to seven years. Yeah, eh? very very fast growing, and there's yeah. and there's no they're not under threat or anything. And so, yeah. I don't personally, when you look at the science of it, I get the emotional aspects, but that's what it is. Um, yeah, you know, it's emotional not, aspects. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Wow. Some exciting shit going on, man. Yeah, bro. So I'm um, seeing so yeah, really really exciting, and so yeah, been sort of. The Northwest Spearfishing Club, we've been pushing that one anyway, mm-hmm. working with Breakfast West on that, and yep. um, and advocating as much as we can for the for the town to to get that in place. And it's not just going to benefit sparrows; it's going to benefit um, fishermen. Mm-hmm. And um, at that sort of depth, that reef's not going to be accessible to a lot of sparrows anyway. Mm-hmm. But what I think will happen um, is that you'll still get things like Spanish mackerel congregating around that area because when there's a bit of structure below the the bigger pelagic fish tend to hang out above the reef anyway yeah so yep. um so i think it still will be you know yeah bit of a double banger. yeah mate and hopefully a real awesome spot for targeting mackies as well yeah. I, I reckon and uh, and i have specifically asked um reef fish west to incorporate what they call high relief structures which are your your taller ones mm-hmm. um and um and yeah actually on that note too um tam's um one of the local companies in town here, mm-hmm. they've um, they've also um, donated one of their barges to the cause yeah, as well. It's cool. Um, so this is like a uh, barge that's made up of five modules, mm-hmm. and then that can be modified to put like big frames and truss sort of structures up. So that'll be a really good a good thing to have some quite high structures, mm-hmm. and then those sort of higher structures are more suitable for your mackies and things like that too. When you say so, we're talking about twenty two. Feet, uh, 22 metres on the lowest tide so that could be up anywhere up to 27, 28 feet, uh, metres water yep. on a high tide mm-hmm. <coughs> how high are the structures what would you think you're talking like 3 metres high I think up yeah. to maybe 5, 6 metres I haven't six. seen the exact design so these, are, these, so. Are, these are a bit of depths where people could uh, could dive on as well mm. yeah for sure man you're, you're more experienced um, yep. spiros and get down to yep. 20, 25 metres sort of thing mm. yep cool yeah so, um, but again, you know, you got to be careful as well. Make sure you're diving with the buddy, etc., yep. etc., because those deeper dives are more dangerous. And, yeah, yeah. So it's again, too, that's um, too deep for me. Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of two, this actually brings me to another topic as well. Um, the Spearing Club, we want to be able to swim in the um, in the local swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Now, um, this is something I, I want to advocate to the town of Port Hedland because I reached out to them. I'd heard that anecdotally that people have been told, "I know you can't." You can't do breath holding in here, not allowed. It's like, well, why? why? Um, oh, because it's dangerous. It's like, well, uh, okay, well, we got people to spot us, etc. Well, if you want to do it as a club, you have to have your own insurance, possibly um, pay for a lifeguard, da da da. And I'm like, well, that seems a little bit unfair because I mean, like, what's I feel like, you know, Spiro's a generally pretty fit bunch, right? Yeah. Now we want to be able to train in the pool. So we can safe environment. So we can train in a safe environment, get better. So you're not respond. sending people out to the ocean half cocked and having a shallow water blacking out out well, there and shit. That's yeah, that's that's the thinking, right? Um, and so meantime, I've looked into insurances, um, 
the only way to do it, there's two paths, right? You can either do it um, by getting your training and then taking on personal insurance. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to be a level three um, free dive um, qualified person mm-hmm. before you can take out your own personal liability insurance. Yeah. Alternatively, um, you can affiliate with one of the underwater bodies. So there's Australian Underwater Federation. They have um, underwater hockey, for example, fall under their banner and mm-hmm. a number of other water sports. But the um, the cost for our club is like five grand a year to become affiliated affiliated with them, um, and that's more than we've even got in the bank account, man. <laughs> so like, it's really it's a bit of a frustrating one. And I just all I want to do is just to be able to use a public facility um, for the benefit of the people in this town. And, um, and apparently, the insurance the town's got doesn't cover us. So so is water polo uh, subject well, to the same? Maybe they have rules? their own, but possibly that's pretty dangerous. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure. I think they probably have their own insurance, and um, I probably need to reach out to them, find out how they how, how they they've done it, it, how much it costs. Um, surely they don't have a heap of money. It's a bigger organisation as well. I mean, water polo is a national sport, so they, yeah. maybe they have some sort of bargaining you're just part power. Of the, and, yeah, yeah, you're part, yeah of the, part of a broader body. I don't know, yeah. but it's um, yeah. You guys just need to get wear some fucking gay little earmuffs when you go down there, yeah, and do, you, do your dive training. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're practicing water polo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where you cock jocks and earmuffs and yeah. off you go. So, I mean, for underwater hockey, for example, I know um, some of the crew down in Onslow were doing that and um, they fell under the broader body. So, mm. their out of pocket expenses, you know, isn't much. But for us, it's like 100 bucks per person per year. And it's like, that's that's a significant amount of money to fork out. Um, so, yeah. Um, anyway, I'll, um, I'll continue that discussion and. Um, that fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just had a visual then of. Um, I'm going to shoot that dog. I just had a visual of um, uh, a mate of mine who does water polo, and we were we were mutually concerned about another friend who we weren't able to get contact with. And I'd speak to, I spoke to him, he spoke to me, and we said we need to go see. We need to go see. That might be your boys out the front. <laughs> is, that, is that your your missus ringing? Yeah, oh, that was the uh, sister-in-law. Oh, okay, is that your boys? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is my boys. Yeah. Anyway, we got some gate crashes. On a walk past. We're going to wrap up in a minute anyway. But just just quickly, we got hold of, I got hold of my mate, he got hold of me, and we were worried about a friend mutually. We went around his house to check on him. When I got there, he'd beat me there. He'd just come straight from water polo, had forgot all his clothes. So he's literally walking around. In just his cock chocks, dripping, didn't have a towel, dripping wet. (laughs) And the mate we went to check on and woke up on his living room, on his couch in the living room, looking at, old mate who remained nameless a big fella staunch fella standing there in his cock tox dripping wet in his living room and just woke up and, what the fuck are you doing <laughs> <laughs> we come to check on you I forgot my towel I forgot my clothes I come straight from water polo it was a bloody sight to see man yeah dude it's an uh, hour and 54 minutes dude man what did you want to yeah that's alright what did you want to hit specifically before we get out I know you, you, you did a big shout out um, on Facebook to a lot of the people and everything involved and you said you wanted to maybe reiterate some of that yeah bro like I mean as I said on that on that Facebook post just um yeah just super grateful man for everyone who's been involved um you know whether it's part of their job or just part of the community and just mm-hmm. reaching out it's been it's been incredible man like um yeah to be on the receiving end of all that kindness is, is really amazing so yeah you know I won't you know list them off one by one but yeah. you know um, I think a lot of people have seen that post anyway so yeah. you know shout out to everyone thank you so much guys and yeah you know um, as I said in the post um, 
you know, if you if you've got people you love, reach out to them and um, yeah. and tell them that. And um, you know, that was one of the big takeaways from what happened to me was you know like that when when things go south, um, you really just those people you love and care about are, mm. are so important, and it's important to let them know. And um, you know, don't hold on to petty petty shit because it just doesn't matter at the yeah. end of the day. Especially as blokes, mate, reach out and tell people you care about that that you care about them. Um, and look, mate, you've <coughs> uh, incredible story. We're so glad that you survived. You kept your arm. Looks like your hand's going to make a pretty good recovery. You live to tell the tale, but he doesn't want to keep telling the tale. So <laughs> if you want, if you do want to hear all the all the juicy details, go back to the start of the podcast and listen the whole thing through. Mm. Um, appreciate you coming on, man. Your time and, and running through all that with us again. Yeah. Glad that you're still here. Glad it all has you know is. I know there's still a long road to a full recovery, but it's things things are working out, mate. Um, mm. Fucking could have gone the other way very very easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent, bro. And um, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me, man. Um, Any time, mate. Been, been Every time I come, you would come when you come on here. I think we're gonna have to do this again because we didn't get to everything that we were <laughs> meant to talk about. So, so bad, hey. <laughs> Far out. How you feeling from last night? Feeling a bit better? Mm. Yeah, these um, these parallels are helping. Yeah, a couple of hair <laughs> of the dogs, mate. Mm. Yeah. All right, well that's that's us, mate. Um, episode one hundred and thirty-seven. I think the song was called Shark Waters. So we'll name the episode Shark Waters. Um, Robbie Peck, the shark attack survivor and uh, uh, environmental uh, game and fishing uh, enthusiast and advocate. And that's a big distinction I think that needs to be made about people who love their hunting and love their fishing and love all the outdoors. They can – the fact that, that people will, will look at people in that community um, as – an enemy to nature and to animals and to the wild and to conservation is just completely bizarre because they're the ones that, that advocate for it the most and they're out there on the front line and they're the ones who really do put most of the money back into conservation and you guys understand what you're fighting for and a lot of the things that need to be done to, to achieve it. So mm. I think that generally speaking, there's knobheads everywhere in every culture and every group in the world, but generally speaking, fishermen... Divers, you know, spearfishers, spearfishers, um, hunters, in general, are the people who are, who are the most passionate and quite often, the, you know, very knowledgeable about conservation, about uh, the natural world and animals in it, and what we need to do to protect them. And they understand sustainability as well, mm. more, you know, which is, yeah. even if that's the driving factor, you mm. want to protect the animals because you want to be able to take your kids hunting twenty years from now. That's that's. Whatever the driving factor is, the, the end result's still the same. So conservation and, and the outdoor world, hunting, fishing, all that, they go hand in hand. So that's mm. a big thing that people don't take into consideration when they get on their high horse quite often. Absolutely, man. And I think you could we could have a whole separate podcast discussion about the ethics relating to hunting and gathering, fishing mm. and all that sort of stuff. And there are some very, very strong arguments um, for all these activities as well. But, uh, you know, at the risk of... Uh, hijacking this podcast and um yeah won't put everyone through that but another time eh? <laughs> another time i think we've touched on it in, in all three installments now anyway mm. so we'll do another one another time mate thanks for coming on um yeah that's it episode 137 shark waters over and out peace <laughs>